everybody. Welcome to another episode of As the Wheel of Time Turns. This is a review podcast for the Amazon series Wheel of Time. We are on Season 2, Episode 2. I am your host, Liam. Here I'm joined by my co-host, BJ. BJ, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing great today. We also have Bree. Bree, how are you? Pretty good. How are you? Great. And Sarah, Sarah started knitting already, where, where she's knitting already in the podcast. How's it going? The wheel weaves as the wheel will. There, That's a hard line to get out. Congratulations. <laughs> wheel weaves, wheel wills. Yes. All right. Anyway, that's my contribution. I'm done for the day. Season two, episode two, we are reviewing Strangers and Friends. Um, I will defer to BJ. BJ, what do you think of this episode? Uh, I think that we are coming back to a place where we have interesting television that is less and less related to what I know from the books. And uh, I am here for it. There were so many scenes that were created essentially whole cloth. It was a little impressive. Whole cloth. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that got me. Puns. That tickled me a little bit. Here for the puns. Yeah, I, uh, I don't. Yeah, I, I read book one immediately after we recorded our review of season one. That is a kind of a distant memory for me now. So I don't like no specific scenes from the book to map to, but I do know that it's not rem- like very close to what I was reading as far as a plot from plot perspective. But I can tell you it's good television. I think this yeah. season is so much better. This episode in particular, I felt like, was really solid. They revert, they released the first three episodes all together, and I watched basically them back to back to back. And the first episode, I was still finding my bearings, trying to figure out you know, kind of what was going on. And I also had not necessarily taken in the jump in quality. This episode is what did it for me. I really felt like this episode had a much higher jump in quality. And specifically, I mentioned the first episode, but I feel like the music has improved so much. There's there's like, it's almost like um, other fantasy series like uh, like Star Wars or Game of Thrones or something where there is a specific sound that they have and a specific melody that they play and they just do variations on it throughout. And you're like, oh, that's the Wheel of Time music. I, I know I'm in the Wheel of Time universe now because I hear it. Have yeah. they started doing any of that for uh, different characters yet, like they did with Game of Thrones? Yeah, they absolutely have. Themes or, okay. They I have also, not picked up on that. They also have it for uh, people, and it's a lie, and I'm here for it. So the Shanshan have... Their uh, own specific. Oh, I see what... Yeah, yeah, And yeah. that I noticed. <laughs> that Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that was interesting. I just didn't know if we had, like individual music for individual characters yeah moraine has her own music i did pick okay. that up on a later episode in this season okay since I'll we're on, on music i've got a mu- i got a song for this podcast to get us started to get us in the mood for the discussion of this plot are you guys ready uh absolutely okay i'm gonna play it Um, breaking up his heart that gets us started i guess by neil sadaka we did see a breakup at the end of this episode we did see a breakup and moraine r.i.p for that relationship that that felt like a real breakup i want to get when we get there uh lee you have firm opinions on how relationships should be ended i feel like they have come out on other podcasts that you have done yep um i want have this in the back of your head. I want your take on this breakup. I want a little bit of rating from it Yeah. when we get there. See, yeah. I thought you were going for the opening of this episode, which I'm sure you're going to talk about shortly, with Rand and Celine talking about their previous people. Yeah, well, we, I do have some things to talk about there. I'm sure, I'm sure y'all do, too. Um, those two characters, those scenes, I felt like, of course, I know a little bit more about 
what that is, right? That just a casual viewer would know, you know, as somebody just like fresh to the story, just watching this, I, I know a little bit more about like what that is, but I find those really fascinating scenes, like really interesting scenes. Yeah. I think they're, they're really well done. And there's, there's some foreshadowing there. That's fun. So did you read book two? No. Okay. Uh, so I think this season is supposed to be parts of book two and book three. Yeah. And so that you're not as familiar, at least with the book plot stuff, that's really where they're taking. I think that there are a lot of things that may have been uh, left out of book one um, and a couple of scenes from book one that are creepy into book two because I think we had, uh, or from book one, creepy into season two. But um, I am curious to see uh, where things go. And sort of as we were talking about a little bit with episode one, uh, and I'm going to have a major spoiler uh, because we've seen a little bit more, which is I think at, like the se- the episodes that are going uh, that that are out so far have been improving in quality, and so like I think this is where we're starting to to see the uh, show hit its stride. Uh, but I think it, it goes even better uh, over the next like two three episodes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like it's number it's been number one on Amazon for like two weeks and Amazon has done next to nothing to advertise this mm-hmm. show. It's even mm-hmm. hard to find on the app when you get on it. Yeah, um, that's classic, which, which people have, <laughs> have been talking about. Uh, I don't know if they don't believe in the show or what, but it but there's been a big critical reception of it. And I, I think every episode I have seen has been solid. And yeah, BJ, I think you, you, uh, that's kind of been my view and experience, too, as it seems to be getting a little bit better each episode. I like this one a lot. We'll, we'll jump through the plot here. I'll lead us through the plot, which I'm sure will prompt a lot of different discussion about where the show's going. Uh, <laughs> BJ and Bree will try to give us some book parallels without spoilers, if, if possible. And then we'll go to, I think, our, our segments here. We go to kind of like a best scene or best line of the episode. In essence, we kind of like point out, each one of us point out what's like our favorite thing mm-hmm. of the episode. And then then we have like winners of the uh, winner winners of the, of the week? episode, yeah, winner, winner of the week and loser yeah. of the week, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have winner and loser of the week too. And then Sarah and I will hop off our job done, and BJ and Bree will talk a little bit of unfiltered book spoilers uh, for it. And I'm sure that will be about a three minute segment from here and y'all talk. It sounds like it's <laughs> deviated so far from the books that it, it's yeah, but it's there's not some like it was sort in of season one, I guess overarching book themes that they're still still de- dealing with and so it's interesting mm-hmm. to think about where those are going even if we don't necessarily have the same scenes or characters interacting yeah. um, or there's new characters that are taking on the roles of old ones so it's kind of fun in the books to on a reread you get to look at uh things that are happening in early books that get payoff like three four five ten books down the road and so there's stuff happening now that uh either was or wasn't foreshadowing the books and now is is this foreshadowing to something that they're going to do or and they're going to do it slightly differently or is this more of a they're just taking a completely different route and this doesn't mean anything is it a broken thread i see uh and i could tell there when i said that i when the the scenes with rand and selene i kind of 
felt like I knew what was happening. I could see you struggling with like, oh, well, he's read book one, but he's not read book two, three. How does he know that? Let me just clarify for you and the audience. I watch a lot of Wheel of Time YouTube videos Can where, confirm. Pe- where people explain <laughs> these things to me. Okay. So it's less about what was actually in book one and what I have ventured into in the um, all of the sort of uh, fantasy personalities on YouTube who cover these things and break it down for people. So I, I think That's I've fair. got a pretty good sense of the background and the lore, which I'll get into some of that as we go into the recap this week, hopefully. Yeah. I won't mess it up. But that's that's why sometimes gotcha. I think I, I jump ahead a little bit and, and know things I probably shouldn't know. So I would like to just say that I appreciate you admitting how you know those things instead of just pretending that you have intuited them. Like Spencer. From your from right. your deep understanding like, like of how narratives Spencer. work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I definitely love the I, I, I do enjoy the the YouTube videos of like these folks who like really dive into the lore and then they do like the 10, 15 minute video like Wheel of Time explained first first age explained like give that give me that stuff i, I yeah. like that that's like straight to the vein uh all right let's do the plot cool sounds so good get a previously on and we get this line from moraine and the previously on i know about the man you met in north harbor walk away or i will tell your red, sister, red sisters where he lives so i felt like we're probably going to get some of that this episode mm-hmm. perrin saying there's a rage inside of him the poem moraine looked at the fight with the red sisters um the uh, or i'm sorry the fight with the uh, fades mm-hmm. what aren't you telling me the bartender who can see in the future i thought that was really a random thing to throw into the previously on gave us an idea where it was going uh, it's true isn't it this is rand what they say about men who can channel that eventually they go so mad they kill everyone they've ever loved and moraine giving him that it is tell him what i did tell him i didn't make it back so there it is uh that's the previously on we cut to rand he's having some kind of dream sequence we see his dead friends all around him blood on his hands Shamael is there. Is that, is that how you say it? Shamael? Yep. Shamael mm-hmm. is there. Celine asks Rand. Rand, she asks him to come back to bed. So Rand has a girlfriend. This is what we're seeing here this episode. Is he's found somebody to spend time with. Whatever <laughs> village he ended up with. She asks him if he's having another nightmare. Uh, so the dialogue gives us a hint that this is not like the first time he's been with her, right? Like another nightmare. He's been with her a few, few nights. He hears something and it sounds, and we get this a few times with Rand this episode, kind of like a indistinct whispering or like a background whispering and i think it's meant to or at least what it does for me is it instills fear that he's going crazy Mm -hmm. like that's what i just immediately get scared when i hear that stuff in the background for him yep uh and then he um he comes out uh we hear horses neighing and celine hugs celine hugs him and says i should get to work he says i should get to work she tells him you got to pay for your room and board this month so there's some more in the dialogue giving us background she's the innkeeper she owns wherever he's staying she tells him not to be late. She'll charge interest and seems kind of playful. He says, I won't be. Your rates are too steep. She says, this line got it in all caps. Let's bold it. Let's underline it. Italicized. <laughs> all these nights together and it's always the same ending. Really like that line. The door opens and she leaves. Rand is left there. He hears some more of that indistinct whispering. Um, and there we go. That's the end of the first scene with Celine. Anything you want to talk about there? No, I think you uh, encapsulated it pretty well. So I just wanted to uh, point out that uh, we have a lot of Aes Sedai saying things. And uh, it's <laughs> just a blanket statement. Just a blanket a statement, but specifically in the recap uh, that I wanted to mention that uh, what like it something like we talked about it the, the last season where 
you have to be careful and pay attention to everything that the Asadai say, and yeah. or, or Asadai say. And the uh, other thing to know is that um, is that uh, Asadai uh, are telling the truth with what they believe, and so there are going to be likely some things where an Aesodai doesn't actually know something or, or believe something and can say that as true. Yeah, so they just can't, like... They can't knowingly yeah, I mean, and lie. willfully yeah. lie. Yeah, yeah right. lie is the operative word. Like, they mm-hmm. can't say a thing they know to be untrue. Right, but right. they can also yeah. be mistaken. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, I wonder if he's saying that because Moraine told Rand that men go crazy when they channel i wonder if that's why he's saying that well Well, that they kill all of the people that are close to them when they go crazy sure yeah 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 um yeah you gotta think that like and i really don't know this i have not delved this far into the youtube videos on wheel of time (laughs) but you gotta think this is just pure speculation i don't know that like if rand is the dragon and the dragon is net that the dragon's necessary to fight the dark one and that's what the pattern is producing that's that's what is fated to happen he can't go crazy by like book three. Like there's got to be some out for that rule. There's going to be some way to get around that so that he can actually fulfill his destiny to fight the dark one. He can't just be like with fucking Loghain in this damn hospital next season. Lee, do you think sanity is necessary to save the world? Well, it's, yeah, I guess it, it depends on what you mean by sanity, right? Uh, he's got to be able to fight the dark one. And Does he have to be sane to do that? We'll see. I suppose we'll see. I don't know. The door opens and she leaves. Rand is left there. Um, we get Rand walking through the town. Town looks alive. Folks seem to know Rand very fairly well there. I think he's. I think the implication is he's been in this town for a while. He walks through over a bridge, maybe into a town. As he crosses the bridge, there's some guards there who let him in. He walks into a building. Looks like kind of like a hospital, mental ward, something like that. Rand's looking around. We hear it. More of that indistinct whispering. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? You are mind, Rand Althor. Cut to the intro. And was that the voice of Ashamael saying that? We don't know. It kind of sounded like it, right? It's actually funny because uh, I think Brie was saying it didn't sound like Ashamael. Yeah. I don't think it is, but... Interesting. Uh, I yeah, think it is a... Confirmation, lo- have we gotten confirmation on the show if the Dark One is a guy? We have never had... The only thing that we've gotten confirmation of is uh, Rand got Eshamael confused with the Dark One. Right. Right. So we have no other information about what or who the Dark One is from the show. I'm okay. trying to think of it through Moraine talking to Lan later about whether she uses any pronouns when talking... I think she just says the dark one. I don't think she ever says he or, okay. he or anything. I will say that in the books, a lot of people refer to the dark one as a he. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing about the dark one and a gender other than like people call him that. Yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, my understanding of the dark one is he's like almost like a God type figure. So like the gender is almost unimportant. It, I was it's only like a human. I was just wondering. Yeah. Him, yeah. I, well, I was wondering if we were going to hear a male voice when we hear the dark Interesting. one. Interesting. Okay. That's, that's why I was good. Um, I mean, I would say not unlike when people refer to the devil and the people refer to the devil as him. And uh, I mean, I guess similarly with God, like there isn't a particular reason for that usually. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting that 
um, and how Moraine talks about this later in the episode, and I probably should bring it up then, but I thought of it now, which is that, um, do you remember when we saw Ashamel for the first time and when Moraine talks about him getting released? Yeah, I mean, she says he got released at the Eye of the World, but we saw, I mean, I guess we only saw him in Brienne's dreams before then. Yeah, so I guess sort of like, what does released mean? Yeah, I mean, I guess it means he can walk around in the world like he's doing now, but it was before he was in Rand's dreams. That's how I took it. Yeah. Because he's like, when we see the scene, I guess, later in the in the episode, he's he's there in the flesh. Like, Ashamael's like there, as opposed to like, just showing up in somebody's dream or whatever and flouting away. Right. Um, all right, so we get a large property, a shot of the property Moraine is staying at. Adelaide comes up to comfort land, which draws an eye roll from Moraine. Varen <laughs> comes up to Moraine to tell her she's in luck. They're going with her. I assume you are going to the White Tower. Moraine says in a very Moraine way, I have been exiled from the White Tower. Varen just says, I know. They share a look and Varen gets up and walks away, nodding to land. I got to say, I think I like Varen a lot. She might be on my top couple couple few this episode. She's very, She seems like a really good character. Somebody we can trust. You should keep her there. Yeah, she's strong. Right? <laughs> not Barry in the lead. Bree is <laughs> She's great. Um... So Lan grunts and gets up, walks over as Moraine goes to get up. Lan tries to help her, but she waves him away. We need to leave. If I am to make it to the docks before sunset, I've lost too much time already. Lan asks her where they're headed. The White Tower? You can't. Have Tomas ready my horse. You're still weak from the healing. Damn. And I don't want my <laughs> saddle to slip. And Moraine just walks away. Fucking harsh. I, she has developed like an entire language of pursed lips and raised eyebrows and like a downturn at the mouth that has punctuated her silent treatment in ways that like make my spine clench while I'm watching this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's very clear. She, she knows yeah. exactly where to put her arrows to hurt land. Right. Yes. Yes. The other side of it is, uh, in the books, the Isidai don't talk as much and are much more like pointed looks, uh, especially between Moraine and land. I mean, the, uh, quote last episode of you know no one's ever told me to to be silent was very much like a joke at the books where i mean moraine talks a lot more than he does but like they don't talk a whole lot uh just in general and especially between the two of them so i think this is uh it is needling him but it is also a little bit more like how they seem to communicate in the books i gotta say very effective in small doses their relationship would be extremely boring to watch on TV if they had not changed that. Indeed. Yeah, I don't think they have a, much of a relationship. I mean, it seems like it seems like they're co-workers. That's what it seems like to me. Um, Moraine seems to never have crossed any sort of boundary with him. Well, so. I didn't. I didn't mean like a. I just meant their like connection is. Yeah, but humans. Uh, right. You no, know, for sure, and it would be boring. And I think that. But BJ, I think that's what getting to what you were talking about in season one, right? That so much of the book is written about these internalized thoughts and yeah. what people are thinking mm-hmm. and communicate, but it, you know, they're vocalizing a lot of that stuff. But no, I just, I, I think, um, I think it's on full display here when we see like Adelaide and Varen with how they operate. And then of course, when we see Alana, how she operates that Moraine had a warder, but he never got like promoted yeah. to like bed partner. Like he never, <laughs> he just stayed in like coworker zone basically. I- <laughs> Um, did he uh, did he put in for that promotion and was denied or was I there? I honestly can't tell if he loves her or not. I think he feels duty to her, uh, but it's hard to hard to tell. Um, I guess we'll we can talk about that more as we get some of their scenes play out through the yeah. episode. 
Duty um, is a good description of Lan. Lan exhales, looks around, and in the woods, the horse is neighing. Cut to Uno, who is complaining. Um, we certainly won't cash him if that, if that goat-looking bastard refuses to ride a horse. Inkar, Inktar tells him that tracking isn't easy to do from horseback. So basically what's happening is um, Elias is um, leading them, but he's he's walking, right? And Uno is complaining that he won't ride a horse. They can't go fast. And Inktar's like, well, it's hard to track from a horse, basically. Um, Perrin points out that, look, well, he's kept us on Fane's trail so far. And then uh, Elias stops them, looks around. They are assessing the water. Inktar decides that they are to look for a crossing. They leave the guide behind to keep track of the horses. They decide when approaching the house to split up. Quote, there could be, this could be a dark friend's safe house. So this is kind of what they're on the lookout for, right? Yeah. They they, so in. they leave Go Loyal uh, and they call him Builder, which is uh, an interesting reference to, uh, I guess, things that we haven't really talked about in the uh, show yet. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if they, they get there, um, which is the Ogier have built a lot of the great cities in the world. And so uh, people that are familiar with history call them Builder. We talked about this a little bit on pod last season. Okay. I, think. Um, I seem they, to remember that that came up. But they, all right, let me get this right. The, the Ogiers built these great cities in the third age, right? The, 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 the Ogiers did not build the great cities of the second age. That was done through the one power, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they built them in this age because they missed their homes, essentially. We'll just call it that. Gross. They missed. Yeah. Well, but they 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 got contracted to build the great cities. Right. Yeah. And then built the. And then they built groves in the great cities because they missed their homes. Right. Got it. But that's all happened in the third age. That also, that's all in this age. We're not yeah, talking that's about all that. correct. Yeah. yeah. We're not talking about the great city that we saw in season one that looked like, you know, New York circa 3025. No, like, they didn't we're not know that. About that. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, they go in, swords at the ready. Perrin tells them there's a woman in the house in front of them. Mingtar walks forward. As he walks in, he starts to talk to people. But we realize he's seen what happened, what's happened there recently. It's not what's happening there now. It looks like a fight took place, some sort of struggle. There was a fade there, and he pans the area. He finally lands on the guy at Elias, who tells Perrin, this is where it happened. So I think the implication for the viewer is that they are both having the same vision of something happening there. Ingtar, not having said vision, is like, are you good? Because there's not a fucking soul in this room, dude. Are you good? Like, can we leave now? I mean, Uh, it depends on whether you consider flies to have souls. There are a lot of flies. There's, it is there a, are many. It does seem like a stinky place. Um, so he tells him, let's go. Reasonable. Elias tells him, it's useful to know the difference between vision and reality. You don't get lost so easily. So already we're starting to see Perrin doesn't seem like a willing student, but it seems like Elias wants to start to teach him things about himself. He, yeah. He's starting to try to develop that relationship. Had we really seen Perrin not be able or not really know where that line is between vision and reality before, or is that kind of new information that we're getting here that like, sometimes those lines are so blurred, especially if he's not expecting it, um, that it can, it can kind of um, blend together in ways that are indistinguishable. Yeah. I think this is the first time we see that. Cause that fucking sucks. Yeah. yeah. I think that, well, so it's sort of on with the, uh, how the show shoots this scene, I think mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, obvious, but like it's unclear if it's obvious if you know what to look for, like when you're present. So 
it kind of feels like Elias can relatively easily tell the difference, whereas Perrin cannot. Um, and so I sort of wonder if Perrin's just like, what is going on? Okay, I see people, I'll talk to them. And Elias is just like, dude, you're talking to a movie. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, but we had the scene with the vision last episode. Where he could tell. He where could he tell knew. Was, yeah. I think, it, it, I think what I got from this is that they are going to show us the flashbacks in such a way that we know it's a flashback. Yeah. They don't want to yeah. confuse the viewer. Right. But by what we're seeing on screen, Perrin is having increasingly difficult time telling the difference between what he's what's going okay. on. And Elias is catching on to that yeah. and wants to kind of teach him a little bit about what, what's going on. And I think they actually did something really smart when they put that scene together um, when... They first go in, and Perrin thinks he sees a woman there. That actually looks no- looked normal to me as it like like real life to me as a viewer before it then moved into mm-hmm. the kind of vision cinematography Yellow-y yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last thing with that scene, uh, the one of the names of the devil is uh, the Lord of the Flies. So mm. I think that's a a little nod there. That's oh, interesting. That's, yeah. that's good. Yeah, and then close the scene out here and basically looks at Elias and says, whatever you're doing to me, I want no part of it. And Elias is like, well, it doesn't really work that way. And I think it doesn't <laughs> work that way at multiple angles. I'm not sure yeah. this is something that Elias is doing to him. And I also think it's like, it doesn't work that way. Like, you're going to need to learn about this. Like, you can't hide from it. You're going to have to learn, you know, how to control these visions or at least how to... Recognize when you're having them. Yeah. And, yeah back to the group with Uno and Igtar and they are talking about what scared away the folks who were there. One of the men comes over and shows them a man has been hanged. He was alive when they did this, when they started at least. Ugh, gross. But then we look up and it's not a man. That's the reveal. It's a fade. We see the face, uh, a dead fade that's been hung. Uno says, what could do this to a fade? Igtar says, I don't know. Perrin asks if they think it was Pad and Fane. Igtar tells them back to the horses. We're going to stay in the village by by the river this evening. We're going to get the hell out of here basically. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this scene is this is one of the few that's very well paralleled in the books um, with some changes for reasons, Uh, but... Ooh, starting to get a little saucy. Well, so I thought it was interesting because a lot of the show is going darker than the books and going a little, leaning a little bit more, I think, into the horror aspects and, and playing up things that could be dark and making sure they are dark. Um, And one of the things that they didn't do is in the books, they had, um, they had Trollocs in the group with Padan Fane that were eating people. And so in the, the cook pots were like people parts. And here it was just like potatoes and like there was left bread on the fire or something like that. And so, it was just really interesting to me that they weren't leaning into that darker aspect of something that was in the books. Especially when they've already done that and will do that in other scenes. It's like, you might as well show the people parts. I don't know. I mean, I think you will. I don't know that you're going to lose a high fantasy uh, audience from cannibalism. I do think you will lose a television audience from cannibalism. It's like, not in cannibalism, though. It's Trollocs eating people. <laughs> Okay. Well, I don't think that your TV audience is going to make a whole lot of distinction. Yeah, I'm not going to understand the, the fine distinctions between humans people, and monsters. Pe- people eating, I think, is I think that's going to gross people out. I don't know. I, I so, probably would have made the same call. 
So the other reason that it surprised me is that in the first episode, we had Ishamael and the young child interacting with the Trolloc, and he was like, oh, he's just hungry. And so it was like... Uh, yep. Yeah, he, he did say that. I, I, was, I was expecting a little bit more of, well, we know the Trollocs are hungry, and that's why they're beasts, and so it felt like a lead-in to that. I, remind me, because I honestly don't remember, did, did we actually see Trollocs in Perrin's vision? No, it was a human man and the Fade. Yeah. Okay. So I th- it feels to me like they're removing Trollocs from this scene. Very possibly. That could be. Um, um, yeah, it's quite case, hard to move with Trollocs. Yeah. I, it feels like it, it, that might have been just an extra dimension that they didn't want to put in there to not take away from the vision and um, the really visceral uh, kind of reaction we get from the dead um the dead fade right back to rand who is looking after someone who seems to have lost his mind my blade where is it the aiel have breached the wall interesting that he's yelling about fighting the aiels with rand right there um his mother was an aiel if i have that correct mm-hmm. um, the man in a haze asked rand how he got past the guards and rand says they let me in like they do every day we hear a woman <laughs> shouting in the background Rand tells him the Aiel War is over now, has been for 20 years. He asks the guy, his name's Errol, if he wants to go for a walk. Errol confirms they've done this before. This isn't some dirty trick. Rand says, I wouldn't dream of it. And, you know, I think I don't, I, I wasn't the biggest Rand fan in season one, but this, I think this entire sequence here of him helping these, these people who, for one reason or another, I have my suspicions, have lost their mind. <laughs> uh He's showing a lot of like real kindness, right? Yeah, and, I love his uh, interactions yeah. with this old man. Yeah, it's it's really bringing the. I mean, I think I think we're supposed to root for Rand, and I think this is bringing us along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very pleased with how they demonstrate to us that Rand is fundamentally a good-natured person and can have patience. And yeah. we get that we get little hints of that through, like in an earlier scene, even. Because uh, as Ren's going to work, he gives a kid some money. He has established a relationship with the uh, tortilla maker or, you know, whatever that flatbread was. So, like, you can see that, that even in the presumably relatively short time between the end of uh, season one into season two. Uh, I think it's five months. Yeah. Like, he's made friends. He's clearly at least known to some of like the the poor folk in the area that like he'll give them money and so uh like we see these uh bits of softer part of of Rand's character yeah do we uh do we know where he actually is i mean we know well actually we did get a thing at the beginning which said that this was in the foregate in car yeah if you pause it uh no no it actually it it comes up on the screen Mm. I guess yeah. that. I, no, I missed that too. How far away is that from where he was slash where everybody else is? It's pretty far. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's very far from the blight. Um, it's closer to the White Tower. Um, and uh, Karhain and uh, Andor are neighboring nations. Okay. I don't know. Uh, like, I don't think we've had a map in in the tv series yet but uh yeah they're they're relatively close part of the reason that i ask is that you know i know in season one we talked a lot about costuming um and i have many thoughts on on costuming in in this season which we can get into as we go but i just wanted to 
talk a little bit about the um, <clears throat> some of the kind of overcoats that Rand is wearing in this episode, mm-hmm. which are like a completely different style of anything that uh, than anything we've seen before, and they seem to be um, based on a sashiko embroidery, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's a it's a traditional Japanese embroidery technique um, that is. Uh, like literally means tiny stabs um, because it is done with a lot of running stitches um, to mm. make different um, different patterns. And it's kind of a traditional type of quilting. And one of the things that is, is kind of interesting about it and the way that they seem to be interpreting it here is that while it has become, because it's so labor intensive, it's become sort of a luxury good now. It was originally intended um, as a way to reinforce textiles for poor laborers in um, like the 1500s, 1600s in Japan. Um, and that seems to be what they're doing with it here because the thing that he's wearing with it is is pretty ragged. Yeah. Um, anyway, I thought it was cool. I think it looks great. Hmm. It's really interesting. Into that as a thing, yeah. So it, it's... Celine it, slaved over it before she gave it to him. <laughs> or, I mean, so he... They, they do a little bit of uh, the Borderlanders having a lot of Japanese influence. And so that's Mm. where he would have come from before this. Okay. Uh, But so is the coat that you're talking about the one that he wears to work? Because that feels more like a work uniform to me. No, it's not the one he wears in work. It's the one he wears on his way to work. Gotcha. Um, So he changes into something much more uniform-like, although the cut is similar, which is interesting. Um, But the garment itself does feel much more uniform-like. And does okay. not have the embroidery on it. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So Rand helps That's the cool. man Harold to his feet. Harold says, I never thought I'd see the day. An eye man among us. So I guess he's caught on that Rand is an eye man. Nobody bats a bloody eyelash in the whole place. Come and you take me for a walk? Rand says, we get to start fresh every day, but we always manage. And, you know, you get to like, I don't know how many times you've seen this in television shows or media. The, the sort of young kid volunteering at the nursing home sequence to make you love the young kid right we just got this in the television show heels which was really cool it's just, it, it happens all the time it's a it's sort of a trope and, and they're playing on it here and it does work it makes me think that rand is kind and, and nice and he seems to be handling this guy well errol lets rand put a robe over his shoulder errol and rand are chatting Errol's talking about someone cutting down a whole brigade on his own and your women even fiercer Rand says, he's amazed. I'm amazed you survived. Don't test me, boy. <laughs> Once a blade master, always a blade master. Even if I've misplaced my heron, Mark, sword. So I think, I mean, this guy is, is kind of talking nonsense, but I do think that the dialogue reinforces that heron, Mark, swords are really important in this world. People know of them. Um, you know, it's it's a thing, basically. Harold's coming around for sure. Rand says he'll try to sneak his sword in so that Harold can teach him a few more forms. Rand is whispering when he says this. Harold says, Take your pick. And then he starts to demonstrate the forms. Rand is smiling. And then we hear a pop, really loud bang. And Harold hits the deck scared. It's a guy named Jan who sucks. And he's like, <laughs> just like the glory days, oh, old man. So he's like teasing the old guy, right? Rand doesn't like this at all. I thought he was going to channel and cut his head off right there. Like I felt like <laughs> I felt like those little yellow spires were coming around we're his just arm like, right now. I thought it was like over for Jan. Um, and Rand does like grit his teeth and say, you're going to wind up you're going to wind up the wrong person one of these days. And Jan steps to him a little bit, not knowing what in the hell he's doing. He says, oh, you? 
Ah, you clean up old man's shite every day. At least in the garden here, I get to see some of the more famous residents in the sun. I think what that tells us is that Jan's job, he's outside. He's dealing with the rich people, the famous people, the, the residents that aren't like Errol, right? Who doesn't seem to have anything. Mm-hmm. And Jan touches Rand's shoulder in a really condescending way and walks away. So, do you think Errol was a blade master? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I do. think that's what they're implying. Yeah. He can't remember a whole lot else, but he can remember that. Yes. So uh, a lot of the things that they reference, uh, you know, parting the silk, uh, reaping the barley, are uh, quotes from the book. And one of the things that uh, we were complaining about last season is that Ren never got any sword training. Which he was Uh, supposed to get from Lan. Right. He was supposed to get from Lan. Lan teaches him forms. uh, (laughs) But... Uh, it seems like he is getting this, and I wonder if we're going to get, like, a training montage in flashback, or uh, we're just getting this reference to Rand has at least some facility with the sword now. Yeah, I don't know, because Rand gets on the level with Errol, who is on the ground crying, and Rand says, that bastard, he caught us by surprise. Next time we'll be ready for him. Now, what would you hit him with? And Errol comes right around, and he says... I hit him with parting the silk to get him off balance, then reaping the barley before he can ride himself straight to the heart, which does sound like, sounds like kind of like a, uh, like a board game or a TCG or something. Like <laughs> I play parting the silk and then I will counter your move with reaping the barley. Like that's kind of what I was, I was getting there with the names of these specific moves. Uh, Rand's kindness again, shining through. Uh, can't overstate that enough. Anything more on Rand and Errol other than the fact that Errol's going to make him a sword master later. Blade Master. Blade Master. Hair and Mark Blade. Uh, I have a feeling that, that we've probably seen about as much as we will of Errol. Uh, so we'll see. I like the guy. Yeah, I don't, yeah he's fun. I don't love that. I want I want him back. I think so too, though, because Rand gets a different job by the end of it. Right? He's, out, he's outside <laughs> yep. with the gay and he's outside with the famous people. Um, so the other thing that I was thinking could be a possibility is that... Uh, you know, we'll get into to why he's here, uh, and I guess again I should talk about it then. But Logan is 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 here, uh, nope. and so are there? Are, is this a place where people where men who can channel are? Like, is is Errol one of them, and that is why you know, or is it this more likely PTSD from the Isle War? I guess I assumed it was the latter. I so did okay. I, but like I also wonder if this might be a place for men who've been gentled uh and don't we see at least one woman we do see we we see some women so like i i think to me like it's a possibility that it's both like maybe logan's the only one that's here uh but like i was wondering that throughout the time that we were here because rand is experiencing some whispers as he's wandering throughout the hospital and so i don't know if that's just always going to be around him or if that's around him because there are people that can channel, or maybe it's just Logan is here and we see that later. Yeah, I was kind of wondering, I was with you, BJ, that it felt like it could have been a place that was sort of specific for men who could channel who had been gentled. But my other question, too, is like, how did Rand end up here? Uh, I think he specifically wanted to be here. I've got got a theory. I think Celine sent him there. Celine said, Celine hooked it up. She said, you can go work there because uh, Celine's looking out for him. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I think uh, I got the impression that this was a mental ward and this was a place for people who had cracked up 
and that some people who have cracked up are people who could gentle or who could channel and been gentled and some people are just people who cracked up um mm-hmm. i think it's a my my impression of this is that it was like this is where we send all the crazy people and if by the way if you had run around the countryside telling everybody you're the dragon reborn and you got fucking gentled and now all you can do is sit in a fetal position there's a place for you here too you've so, uh, you've met the yeah. criteria too <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot of different types of people that's the impression i got but narratively it is interesting that of course you know he shows up mm-hmm. at a place where men have been gentled right or with men who have been gentled um all right so cut to Egwene, who is asking where Nynaeve is and um leandrin has taken her to the child of a sick bed um kid has breakbone fever Nynaeve is worried about worried but leandrin assures her that well oh well you're backwoods fucking town this is a killer won't kill her here not us we're so powerful one of the isodized treating her explain the procedure to Nynaeve, who asks if she'll hold the girl's hand while she does she does we see the healer isodai heal her uh now all i can every time i see an isodai channel all i can think about is like bj pointing out like the hand thing right because like she does vi- i mean she really this this healer uses her hands really she gesticulates a lot in in doing channeling and um, yeah, it's just something to, to keep note of that other I said I do that pretty freely. And then Eve watches and just says that was incredible. And the other one says, well, that took a lot of practice. So I do want to comment here, Lee, that actually the uh, person that is doing the healing is actually an accepted, um, not an I said I. Uh, okay. Uh, to explain the difference. Ooh, maybe we haven't discussed. Well, I mean, we get to it at the end, but. The test that Nynaeve goes through at the end is to get her to sort of the next level of uh, training within the tower. So you have novices, which are, you know, where the girls are now, uh, accepted, which is the next test, and then the final test, and then you become Aes Sedai, so a full sister. So this is an accepted that is doing the healing, so she's learning, and that's why she, you know, at the beginning is very hesitant, and it's like, you know, asking Leandra if she would prefer to do it. Um, because she's only an accepted. And in that case, and I have this in my notes, Lee, I know you said that she used her hands freely while she was casting the weave here, but I wish that, I actually wish that it had looked a little harder for her to do this. Um, yeah. I mean, I understand that there are uh, spells and weaves that are easy and some that have become muscle memory, but this seemed like so flippant to me, just in the way that it was acted and portrayed. That I, I like, I wish I had a little bit more in the relatively rare instances we're getting weaves this season. I wish I had more indication of complexity, levels of effort, levels of power of who is who is doing them. Like that actually is feeling a little flat to me this season. I, That's completely fair. And I didn't actually think about that, but I do think that that is a reasonable point. I guess my thought would be that they made it look very easy to kind of astonish Nynaeve that this is a disease that, you know, she probably lost children to. And here, it's no big deal. Yeah, and so the levels are like, you were, what, you you start as a... Novice. Novice, then you get accepted, then you're an Aes Sedai. Is there any other level that we need to know about in between there? No. No. All right, so those are the three levels. And the way that you can identify it is uh accepted are in the white uh dresses with the rainbow cuffs yeah those rainbow cuffs were real cool yeah (laughs) i liked that a lot they're much prettier than they were uh described in the books yeah yeah 
I don't remember the rainbow cuffs. I don't remember any no, rainbow. No, they just had, they oh, had the said color at the bottom of the dresses. Yeah, that's right. Um, and the novices were in all white rather than like a white gray combo and then the the cuffs. All right, so Leandrin says, come. And she says that when you become accepted, you learn from all the other Ajas that they're walking down through like a street. About the, you learn from all the other Ajas about their purpose. You can explore the Great Library with the Browns, learning statecraft and diplomacy from the Greys. And here, the Yellow Sisters teach you that healing is response to the symptoms and disease you were presented with. But my Asha, the Red, we stopped the disease from taking root in the first place. Hmm. Uh, enjoy the the dialogue here, just for people who don't know the backstory, because like you're, they're just reminding you what the the different Ajas specialize in, and that's helpful for the viewer. I think good writing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then we get Nynaeve just kind of, I'm sure she's thinking of, of Rand when she says this, right? She says, men who can channel are not a disease. Uh, and she said, I grew up in a small village too. When I came here, it took me a long time to wrap my head around the idea that saving one girl's life, great, that may be. It pales into comparison to what it could actually do. So she's trying to like instill in her that the Reds do this like greater purpose thing, this bigger thing, right? Um, she explains that the one power slows the aging process lets Aes Sedai live for hundreds of years so that's more dialogue giving us lore about right that the Aes Sedai live for hundreds of years allowing them to change the course of history itself I could make sure the countless girls I'll never ever meet uh I'll never ever meet uh don't need to be saved in the first place she says she's asked the mistress of novices to turn Nynaeve's studies over to her Nynaeve fires back I heard you're not allowed to train novices Leandrin ignores that you've heard of the arches the trials go the trial novices go through to become accepted. Leandrin says, well, my sisters ask if you read, um, I'll suggest, uh, if you're ready, I'll suggest that you say yes. So basically what she's doing here is saying, yeah, I can't, I can't work with novices. True. However, uh, we're going to, going to accelerate your uh, trials, get you accepted. And then I can teach you directly. And I fast track for, I just get the impression that Leandrin uh, up until this point, my, I was just thinking Leandrin was trying to get Nynaeve to be a red. That's what it felt like to me. What about y'all? Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is definitely Leandrin trying to get Nynaeve to see the ways um, in which red sisters are so important and valuable in the world um, and recruit her. And she's also impatient because she thinks, Leandrin thinks that she can help Nynaeve, but she isn't allowed to do it right now. And so if she just gets to be an accepted, then Leandrin can do that training. Right. Yeah. I got you. Uh, Nynaeve just watches her leave. We see Leandrin unlock a door and walk in, and there's Matt. So you should at least knock. I might have been naked. She says, my heart flutters at the thought. Uh, Matt is going to banter with anyone. I mean, if he can can banter (laughs) with Leandrin, he can banter with a wall. I mean, it's... He is going to have a repertoire, repartee with repartee with somebody, right? Like he's going to always bring that out of people. So she's brought him some sweet cakes. I don't know what this is about other than the fact that maybe Leandrin's in a good mood for like 12 seconds of this fucking episode. It seems that way. <laughs> she brings him sweet cakes. He thinks they're poison. They're not poisoned. He asks, why in the hell am I here? She says she does actually give us at least a surface level explanation for why she's keeping Matt, which is to make sure the effects of the dagger from Shadow of Goth are fully passed from your system. So I guess... He's uh, he's there being sort of watched he's in quarantine, essentially. Yeah, yeah. In quarantine basically. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it. He asks if that's why she locks the door behind her, and she doesn't want to engage. She says, "Enjoy the sweet cakes." Already now in a bad mood again. <laughs> that, that didn't last very long for Leandrin, and she leaves. 
And Matt follows the noises as she leaves. He's heard it so many times, apparently. He knows exactly the locks and exactly the steps she's going to take. And he's kind of doing that with his hands. That little thing really sold me on this actor who's playing, this new actor who's playing Matt. I thought yeah. that that was like really believably and charmingly done. Agreed. Yeah, Absolutely. It also feels a lot more like book, book Matt, mm. where he's bantering with everybody that will participate with him willingly or unwillingly to a certain extent <laughs> and is a little bit more of the jokester natured jokester yeah rather mm-hmm. than miserable miserable thief our little emo guy from season like, one yeah yeah he is he, I, I think it's an upgrade uh, i agree with you all and i uh then the end of that scene is him going shawshank and trying to dislodge a brick brick from the uh, the wall there he's just got his little utensil and he's working to break up the mortar there to get the dislodge the brick mm-hmm. back to Egwene the music they play in this transition I just want to point out is particularly good and I just get the sense that like now I know I like I heard it and I was like oh I, 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 this is Wheel of Time like I know I know what universe I'm in I don't know mm-hmm. if this was Egwene's theme or not or what this was but it was just it just struck me as being really good and well placed mm-hmm. cut to Egwene walking into a room with a few pillows that were in the front of a door um, that she's picked up and what looks like a new recruit says, "Can you leave? you can leave those right there? Thank you." Like really, ooh man, <laughs> ooh what an order! Just a terse little order here. And then um, Egwene puts him down, sort of rolls her eyes, and says, "Would you mind not blocking my door?" The new person, whose name is Elaine, says, "Oh, you're a novice too." I'm starting to think they'd put me in a different section of the tower. I haven't seen another soul since I've arrived. Egwene's like, "Why would they put you somewhere else?" And um, you know, the just kind of like. Eh, I, she, she seems to not want to tell her who she is right away. Mm-hmm. It takes a little pulling from Egwene to get who she is, right? Mm-hmm. And then she just storms into Egwene's room and does the, the, you know, the rich girl sort of mistake, which is thinking that the room hasn't been furnished yet when all of Egwene's things are in there. Yeah. And that doesn't get them really going on a, a strong foot, she says. But then she just realizes her mistake and immediately jumps into the stitching Right to your heart, Sarah. Right She's to my heart, yep. Western and Doran, isn't it? The two rivers. She can tell from the stitching that the thing was from two rivers, which was pretty cool. Elaine's smiling. Egwene, now deeply skeptical with a sassy arm cross, is asking her why she's smiling. Elaine is like, well, it's because I never thought I'd be allowed to live with the rest of the novices. She's like, why? Why couldn't you live with us? And she finally, she drops it. She says the daughter heir thing. She explains that she is Elaine Tracon, daughter heir of Andor. And you, Egwene, are my subject. So that was a bit of a reveal there. Well, and actually, I think it's funny because I don't know necessarily that it was that Elaine did not want to tell Egwene. I think she sort of assumed that she must have known. And so I think Elaine has actually sort of taken off guard that, that Egwene has no idea who she might be. And then she didn't really know how to deal with the situation of, like, somebody not knowing who she was. Right. Especially one of her subjects. I mean, come on. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good read. Egwene, she said, I'm Egwene Alvier. She says, it's great to meet her. You know, they say some of the greatest pairings in history of the world were formed between novices and adjacent rooms. Colness, Malhedrin, and Elna Karnan. Uh, I don't know. These Codswan. Dropping some names here for us. Yep. Codswan um, is... Or Katsuin is somebody from the books, and the other person is another name that Elna has no Karna. Meaning. Who knows? Yeah. I, it could have been dropped at some point, but like there's so many Aes Sedai in the books. Who knows? 
It's not cool. Ness' name, so. Yeah, yeah, anyway, I mean, I don't think it's important. I think it's just that she's... I think what's important in the dialogue is that this woman has read a lot of, and knows a lot about the Aes Sedai. She knows some of the, the historical figures of the Aes Sedai. She even knows the, the sort of word on the street is that they met in the tower or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's that's good there. So the Gwen does smile at that, and then we're done with that scene. Anything on that scene, the introduction of Elaine? I, uh, I'm not going to bury the lead. I am an Elaine fan by the end of this episode. For sure. Um, but what I think is interesting is that the seeds of that are planted even like, I feel like at least I was primed in those very first seconds of the interaction to be like, Oh, this bitch, but they make the turn so fast. Like it's so clear so quickly that while Elaine is yes, self-centered because of course she is self-centered because of course she is, um, that she can make the turn and can put somebody else like at the center of her attention so quickly. Um, and like really mean that. I think that's pretty cool. I think they did that really well. Um, and I appreciated that they didn't like uh, early 2000s teen movie drag out whether she was going to be a likable character or not. Yeah, they just came to you right away. Agree. Yeah, there's like one scene what we're getting to here in a second where it's just like, she just like takes the punishment for somebody yeah. else. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. It's, All right, they're just know, telling us great. right away yep. she's, yep. she's okay. Yeah. No, I'm so thankful that they did that with her because... It's very frustrating to follow characters that you're like, ah, I don't know, should I root for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Unclear. There is a funny thing in the books that happens briefly, uh, basically in this scene, where uh, she basically is like, you're my subjects. And they're like, okay, well, we never knew about that. And we've never <laughs> seen any of your people. So, like, that's great and all. Um, and then the major thing that everybody knows the two rivers for is their tobacco. Um, and that Which it has heard very little of, yeah, that it hasn't come up yet. Seems like this is going to be a relatively, uh, tobacco free environment. Yeah, to... Exactly. Very different, uh, turning of the wheel this time. <laughs> <laughs> so it got to Alana who is, uh, who has her two warders with her and Shiriam, <laughs> Shiriam, is that her name? Shiriam. Shiriam. Or Shiram. I don't know. Um, is there too. Shiram. Uh, is the mistress of novices just to keep everybody on track? Alana asks if um, Arnvana Arnvara was unable to join. She says there are best. There's some things best left between sisters. Alana sits back. What Leandrin's proposing is just too dangerous. So they're talking about Leandrin. I think uh, mm-hmm. working working with Nynaeve. Ivan speaks up. This is one of the warders for Alana, and he says that last week Leandrin wasn't even allowed a warder. Now she wants uh, Nynaeve to go through the arm, uh, go through the arches. Uh, Shiram uh, starts a well-rehearsed line. Nynaeve is the most powerful channeler the tower has seen, and then Maxim like finishes the sentences for her. It's like in a thousand years. Yes, we got it. Everybody keeps saying that. We understand. Anna points out that Nynaeve's skill can't, uh, still can't embrace the source unless she's afraid or angry, and barely then. So she's skeptical. She's like, look, yeah, she's super powerful, right? But she's not even embracing the source. She can't even touch it, right? Yvonne points out that she could die in the arches. Many have before. I think this is news to the viewer. Many have died in the the arches going through through this to become an accepted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shiram says, oh, perhaps doubtful with her power. And I got to tell you, she doesn't instill a lot of, I don't have a lot of faith in her. When she speaks, I'm like, (laughs) I don't know if this lady knows what she's talking about. Uh, I don't know if that's just how she's acted or what, but she doesn't come across as particularly credible in a lot of these scenes. Uh, I want to ask if Shiram knows why so many powerful people are being born right now. 
Maxim's like, not just not even Egwene, but the daughter heir. So that's our first inclination that the daughter yeah. heir is actually more powerful than a standard novice, maybe. Mm-hmm. And the idea that like there seems to be an almost sort of um, like an outbreak of powerful people being born. I don't know that I really had that sense. I mean, I guess I could have sussed it out from all of the Dragon Reborns popping up and from Nynaeve and Egwene, but like I hadn't really heard it talked about in that way before. Yeah. So the interesting thing, and I think it's so we care more about a lot of the sort of side characters and, or, or, uh, yeah, I mean, they'd be side characters in the book, but right now they're, they're more upfront main characters is they're giving, uh, lines from other, uh, main characters and, and sort of divvying them out and spreading them around. So, uh, the, uh, powerful people being born is is very similar to a uh, thing that Moraine says to Rand about like when she tells him that that he's the dragon reborn in that the pattern yearns for a dragon and so it keeps throwing up false dragons until the the rightful dragon announces himself. Mm-hmm. Um, this happens, uh, I think, a bit later uh, in in the series than we are now, but like it's a very similar thought of like the patterns trying to force things in a certain direction. Got it. Um, like it. And then like the it. other side mm-hmm. is uh, Leandrin pushing Nynaeve and her like interactions with Nynaeve and a little bit of training with Nynaeve is stuff that the Amaralyn Seat did, and so that we're getting it with somebody else puts a very different spin on all these things that are happening to Nynaeve, which I think is interesting. It, it puts a very different flavor for Nynaeve being pushed into being accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm following you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Yvonne points out in the false dragons, he's piggybacking on what Maxim said, the false dragons, Log- Loghain, new name for us, Mazrum Tame. Mm-hmm. which I think I would deduce with my powers of deduction here as someone who's watched <laughs> an awful lot of television. We may see this character here this season, um, Mazram Tame, because uh, we did hear, uh, I think maybe last episode, there was another dragon, false oh, dragon. That's right, there, yeah. Right? Uh, the pattern's giving us weapons to fight against him. The last battle is near, sisters. Shiram takes that in and says, and would you not have Nine fighting at our at our side, fighting? And uh, that, that's what um, they say to, to Shira. And she's, she's like, you're the Mr. of Novices. You're responsible for these girls. She's, this is Shira now speaking. She says, Leandrin's little cabal have called for a vote, Alana. And unfortunately in the hall, you speak as one, not three. Ooh. Alana <laughs> gives her a chilling look. I mean, she can really cut a look. It's, ugh, it's frightening. Shira notices some packed bags and says that is if you intend to stay here to speak at all she walks out lana's warders look at her ivan asks her if she wants to stay no moraine needs us but it seems to be hard a hard decision for alana she doesn't seem doesn't seem like that's a simple thing for her to just pack up and leave to go help moraine looks like she's sacrificing to do so yep i mean you have to figure she's probably spent the last five months with these girls trying to train them succeeding Mm -hmm. maybe in the case of Egwene and failing in the case of Nynaeve and so to have somebody else essentially take that out from under her um, is probably a little unpleasant. I would say, yeah. Do you remember in the books whether uh, it was a vote of the Aes Sedai that uh, allowed women to go from novice to accepted? Because I thought it was just like a decision that like maybe the Amarlin made or... I don't remember, which suggests me that it wasn't 
particularly discussed. Yeah. So uh, most things that it's usually it, it's like uh, a Senate bill when uh, the Hall of the Aesidae meet, um, and so like there are things that that should be basically you Doesn't know get passed. Well, things things that don't get passed, but also just resolutions that no one cares about. Um, and so I think that like certain things are more like that. Um, you know, you, you know, straight up or down, simple vote. Um, you know, it sort of depends on who shows vote. up. A little government shutdown joke there for you. you didn't catch it, but I was just saying, they don't they don't pass a lot of those these days. Yes, no, no. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm just over here trying to come up with a wheel of time specific version of I'm just a bill here on Capitol Hill. Ooh, that I'll have that for you next time, guys. Yeah, yeah you need a little bit of work on that. Luck. Yeah, uh, yeah, you, you you need to uh, sit with that for a bit. Hmm. maybe take it to the to a knitting circle. So yeah, weave that tapestry. Um, yeah, so uh, like it, it's sort of interesting, like, three, three like what here. rules they're playing with here. <laughs> a little forced, guys. A little forced. <laughs> Weaving. <laughs> I get. It. I get what you're saying, though, BJ. That it's like the decision making is not super uh, transparent. It doesn't sound like, and yeah. it sounds like that they they do some collective decision making, but it's we don't necessarily know exactly how all this gets done. And, and that you know, if that's the case in the books, what you're describing, then I would say that they are portraying some version of that here, mm-hmm. because I'm not completely sure how the decision gets made for right. Leandrin to take over Nynaeve's training once she becomes accepted, or for Nynaeve to go forward to the arches now considering she's basically sucked as a novice like i don't know how any of this stuff's getting decided yeah yeah um so in the books accepted get to choose who they study with and like what courses they take essentially Mm. so it's you know it's kind of going from uh you know pre to post defense uh in a phd where like you know you have classes and stuff like that uh sort of rigorous training and then it's a little bit more uh independent study yes flexible a little bit more not a whole lot more but a little bit more all right so cut to naive walking in the in the hall another novice asks her if she's come to help no (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) out of her mouth leandrin had told me i could come by she leandrin sadai just left so again i mean five months into this thing she's still fucking up the names uh is she says, if you hurry, you can catch her. Um, so Nynaeve takes off after her. She comes to a few, what to me looked like windows initially. Yeah. And she hears wind whistling and she touches one of these windows and uh, voila, actually a door. Nynaeve is confused about what this is. We hear notices from down the hallway, yelling, maybe moaning. Nynaeve follows the hallway, cut to her walking through a market. Now I've got to pause here, folks. It is my understanding <laughs> <laughs> that these novices are not allowed to leave without being signed out and given specific permission. She seems to have just wandered out of the building. Correct. Uh, so, I mean, it's into the the Tower City, so, like, I don't know how... Okay, so she did not leave the building, is what you're saying. She's, like, in some sort of, like... I don't think so, because that's not how Egwene explained it. Egwene explained it later in the episode, that there are gardens, and then there's the city outside of the gardens. Uh, I think... The thing that you have to hold very dear to your heart is Nynaeve does whatever the fuck she wants. And there are not all that many repercussions sometimes. Sometimes there are repercussions, but that rarely stops her for, from doing what she decides to do. Question. Clearly, she follows Leandrin to the man that she goes and sees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got in the 
the flashback or the, in the previously on the line from Moraine, I know about the man you meet in North Harbor. Yes. So that's outside of the building, right? Yes. Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. is it way is. outside the building. And I think we even get like an overhead view of like where that's supposed to be. Yes. Yeah. Cause it kind of casts down from the, t- there's a really actually very cool scene where the view moves down from the tower out mm-hmm. over the city at night or at dusk. Yeah. 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 And that's okay. at the top of the ellipse. So I think I think this is definitely a sort of I don't give a fuck situation from Nynaeve who just wanders out. And so we're done with that scene. So cut to Uno and Ingtar. And Ingtar says that they will stay right here. We're going to stay right here. Right here. This is where we're camping. He wants to know where Pot and Fane is. And he wants to know what killed that fade, damn it. Cut to Perrin. And he comes into a market area. And there's a stall he looks at rather intently. Light the smell. Lady yells back that it tastes better than it smells. She tells him to go on in. If this is fermented fish, that is exa- that's true all the way around. It's gonna um, stink. It's gonna stink, and it's gonna taste good. I Loyal later confirms that it is lionfish, and Loyal is in fact channeling BJ in his comments about said lionfish <laughs> and the taste. There is a certain depth of flavor to the fermentation that makes it quite delicious. I my head snapped up faster than. Uh, it is really funny. Uh, so lionfish is uh, lionfish, silverfish, and uh, or silver pike, and I think that there's one other that the Amaryllin seat talks about all of the time in the books. Because she's from a small fishing village, right? And mm. so I think because we're getting less of that, we're getting like nods to it in other places. Uh, so that was a fun thing to see. Cool. So that's exactly what happens here. And Perrin asks Elias if he wants to come in. He says, "Like I, I sleep under the stars. I don't. I, this is not a. This is not a house cat. Uh, Elias stays outside. <laughs> I don't um, like people. Yeah. So I'm good. And he says they're not your pack, you know, the Shinerans. And Perrin walks inside. So cut to Moraine and Varen is talking to her. She's chatting about how they can see the White Tower. How she said she'd never go back unless she finished her story." Uh, the, the written history, I guess, that she was writing. Moraine pokes her about not having finished it. Varen says, history needn't be written when it's being wrought. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Three fades hunt in a single eye said, I, the eye of the dark one is upon you, sister. Did you not think we would ask why? I assume it's one of the boys you brought back to Tarvalon. <gasps> yes, wait for it. The dragon. So it drops that. Moraine stiffens, as does the audience. Like, what on earth does she, you know... It's a heck of a thing to just drop that she has pieced together that Moraine found the dragon. Mm-hmm. And you can tell, you know, who's the actress again? Rosamund Pike. Rosamund mm-hmm. Pike acts Moraine straight a lot. She doesn't, mm-hmm. she plays her cards close to the vest, right? But this is a situation where Moraine is caught off guard and you get more emotion from her in the scene than you typically do in a, in a conversation because she's, she's startled and, uh, and not, immediate, not immediately happy. That, that Varen has dropped this knowledge, although I think they come to a, a bit of a mutual understanding here toward the end of it. So yeah. Moraine stiffens at this and grabs her knife. Varen just looks at her, says, who else knows? Or Moraine asks, who else knows? And she questions, Adelaide's, Tom, Thomas, uh, <clears throat> Adelaide's, Tomas, who, I mean, how many people, how many people you talked about this with, basically? And Varen, Varen just says, that's close enough because she's stepping to her with the hand on the knife. And then she says, good. I wanted to know how far you'd go for the dragon. If you are to lead him to victory, our sisters wish to cage the dragon to clip his wings. Their fear that he will break the world again binds them to the truth, uh, binds them to, to the truth that after all these years, our world is still broken. 
and what we need to do is make it whole once more. So from her perspective, it's kind of an interesting thing she's talking about. Like she's she's not scared of another breaking, the thing that happened, I guess, between the second and third age. Mm-hmm. She's saying we never got over the breaking and we got to like we got to build back to where we were in the second age where we shouldn't be worried about like the world breaking again. We're already fucking broke basically. Is is kind of how she's dropping it. One other thing that's kind of like built into this that she kind of blows right through, which I think is a really important thing for her to acknowledge, is like I guess the to Moraine, like basically, I guess you're the one that's going to lead him to victory. Yeah. Like that's a hell of a position to just acknowledge that Moraine's in and just say, okay, I guess you're the one. I guess you're going to be the one leading the dragon to victory. I don't know. I just felt like that was a an interesting inclusion in the dialogue. I think it's maybe Varen acknowledging what Moraine's trying to do and that this is the path that she's on and Varen knows more than Moraine. Moraine is not easily dissuaded. Yeah. But also, like, Moraine thinks that she's, like, the master of all, like, plots and has been in on this with the the current Amaralyn seat and, uh, you know, has her fingers in everything and Varen's just like, oh... I know you think you're you're cute and all and, you know, know all these things, but actually... I see it. I do. I know what's going on. I think you'll do a good job, hopefully. We'll see. And I think this also is a nice interplay that it reminds us of some of the schisms within the tower, right? That there are going to be Aes Sedai that want to keep the dragon free and to do mm-hmm. whatever he's going to do, and that there are going to be some that want to to cage him and gentle him and that kind of thing. And it might only be Moraine and Varen that are on the keep well, the dragon free side. Well, and Swan. Right, and, well, yes, and Swan. That's so right. there are now three. Yes, there, there are at least three Aes Sedai that, that... And maybe Alana. I've got to assume from the histories that, like, there are some that would 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 side, right, with the idea that the dragon has a place a faded place right because like it's such a part of their their history and the narrative about their histories i can't imagine they all fall on the side of leandrin or at least i wouldn't assume so no but they're all pretty darn scared of men who can channel sure yeah that's uh that's a fair point i, I don't know i think um there's another interesting piece of dialogue here where marine says she wants a, an oath of allegiance and that stuck out to me because i was like well you know by even telling Varen, okay, now you know about the dragon. You, you know you know that I found the dragon and mm-hmm. that I'm supporting him. I need an oath of allegiance to you from you. That implicitly tells me that she doesn't she doesn't think just being an Aes Sedai is enough to verify that someone's going to support Rand. The the the, the support of Rand is almost outside of being an Aes Sedai because she's requiring a separate oath of allegiance from Varen here when she learns the knowledge. If, if being an Aes Sedai was like, if you could just assume that being an Aes Sedai, you'd implicitly support the dragon, then there'd be no need for this sort of oath, right? So it tells me that Moraine views what she's doing as outside of her duties as an Aes Sedai outside of the White Tower. Absolutely. So the other thing that uh, I guess we, we haven't really dealt with yet, but the question is, how does Moraine know that Rand is the dragon? We had a sequence last season where Rand was disclosed as the dragon and I can't I can't remember exactly what that was now but it, it seemed fairly clear at the time that it, that he was and then when he acknowledged it she she knew it was him in the moment so I guess that's a good question that I think the scene if I remember correctly the scene 
that we got verification that Rand was the dragon was an internal scene for Rand. It was Rand, Rand was learning it himself, but Moraine already knew it. So good question. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, no idea. I don't. Rem- yeah, I don't remember because it did seem like we had a moment where, in our discussion of it, we were talking about Moraine seemed to have decided that Rand was the dragon reborn. I don't remember when that was. But I know. I know. It, we, I, I do remember that we weren't. Rand becoming the dragon and us getting rid of the really popular dragon power rankings on the podcast, which is a great segment, uh, was not just on because Mar- Moraine said so. There was some independent verification that was going on within Rand. Well, that no, was that was in the ways, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It was the... That was the whispers and the conversations and the visions in the ways. Was the dark found way. Out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there, yeah. it was more than just Moraine, Moraine saying, oh, yeah, yeah. you're the dragon. No, my, I just don't remember how Moraine got to... Yes. Well, Rand came know. to Moraine and was like... I'm the dragon. You know, basically, I'm the one. <laughs> right. Let's well, go. Because they were in the borderlands and he's just like, well, you're waiting for somebody to show up. So it's me. Yeah, that'd be a good that would be a good go, to go back and see exactly how they did that scene if if Moraine was accepting what Rand told her as like okay now now I know or if she already knew hmm. right now you got me thinking I don't know anyway after the oath scene Varen's basically like I'm not swearing oath I'm much too gangster for that bullshit but no I'm going this? on a library run yeah <laughs> well I think she also mentioned and I I do love this line she was like. Uh, you know, even O's have <laughs> loopholes that can be exploited. So, like, don't try this. Yeah. It's not going to be worth your while. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, Brie, that I, maybe she was she was doing more than just saying, I, I'm not taking an oath. She was also educating Moraine that that was not a very effective mechanism. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, I think that's a yeah. good point. Yeah. And I think it's good to keep that in mind. Yes. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is what you just said about Varen being too gangster for that. Uh, that is a good as, as long as the show at least parallels the books, that is a good thing to hold on to for a long time. Yeah, Varen seems awesome. I, I like her. Um, so anyway, she they have this whole thing about the oath, and and then yeah, Sarah, you're right. She's like, actually, I'm going to go to the damn library because there's and the quotes are. Um, and I, I, I do these quotes. I know I screwed the names up. I'm sorry, folks. I'm trying to do the best on the names, but I know that it's probably occasionally important to book readers. Probably not all the time, how much they deviated, but I try to write some of this stuff down. So she says, prophecies that speak of Tomas head, of Tomas. battles, Tomon head, mm-hmm. of battles in the sky, of a sword of flame and the branded hand that wields it. I will find them. Come, come back to the fire and sit beside us. So a uh, little lore there, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, she touches Moraine's arm, but Moraine is not pleased, uh, which really isn't breaking news. She's usually not pleased. Moraine but... hasn't been pleased since the beginning of the season. <laughs> no, she hasn't. But she, you know, she's, I think she's particularly pissed that Varen knows this information. Yes. Um, because she can't control what Varen does, clearly, uh, especially with no access to the one power. I mean, she's she's very much at a reduced state here. And, and if Varen has this information, she can basically do what she wants to. Mm-hmm. With it. There's not much Moraine can do about it. So... Uh... Yeah, I think you get a little bit of that feel, but you get a lot more of the feel in the books where there are very few people that know the secret of what Moraine's been doing. And like we have hints of that in the show, uh, but in the books, it's a lot more palpable that Moraine going, oh yeah, you're trying to deal with the, the dragon. And uh, I think that's a good idea is a little less of an oh shit moment 
for Moraine and more of, I, I, I guess, and I get that sense from you guys where you're approaching it like, okay, there's somebody else who knows, and but, you know, she's not willing to be controlled as opposed to this information was never supposed to, like, go beyond, like, one or two people, basically. And now somebody else knows. We don't know how she knows, and we don't know what she knows. And what do you do with people that know your secrets? You kill them. Yeah, but, like, I guess my, my rejoinder to Moraine there would be, okay, well, if your goal was to find the dragon and help the dragon in the last battle with the Dark One, at some point in that process, more people are going to have to know that the dragon exists, right? Because, like, when you discover the dragon, the dragon starts doing things, mm-hmm. the battle starts happening. Like, it's not going to be a secret forever. So at some point in that <laughs> chain, at some point in that chain, people had to start finding out. The lid's right? going to come off. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and this has only happened after she's located the dragon and after the dragon's had an interaction with Ashamayel, right? Like, so it's not like nothing has happened. I just had a vision of C.J. Craig dropping the news of the dragon reborn on a Friday to to take out the trash. Yeah, Friday afternoon drop. Oh, that's an amazing crossover. So so only Varen Varen knows. Mm -hmm. Uh, CJ would have made a great uh, keeper. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) Cuts to the nighttime and we're in a village and people are partying. Hey, maybe maybe uh, Bartlett could channel, and that's why he got sick at the end of the series, right? Like that's, there, yep, that's, that's it. Yeah, it was a, a burden on his body. <laughs> Channeling, they all channelers, and he got sick. Yeah. All right. So, cuts to the nighttime. We're in a village, and people are partying. We see Rand. He's watching everyone. Specifically, he's watching. What is this guy named Jan from earlier? Who was an asshole. The guy's good and proper drunk, and he actually seems to be inappropriately messing with a woman too. Rand starts walking toward him, trails him for a little while, and jumps him. Starts beating the hell out of him, and during it, he channels and while channeling, punches him. And that seems to be mm. that seems to be the blow that stops the rest of the fighting. And then we start to hear the whispers for Rand then too, and he starts saying no, no, no. And it seemed to me like the guy was either dead or on the way to being dead. He he didn't look so good. He didn't, but we do get him gasping a little bit. So like he's not completely dead. Yeah, and there's yet. a. And there's a sort of implication later that he's still alive, he's alive and may did, come back mm, at some point yeah. to work, but they don't know. Rand walks back in his room to his one true love, Celine, <laughs> and uh, says, Celine, okay. listen, I, I don't think tonight's not going to work for me. All right. I got other things on my mind here. You know, he's just over the moon with her. It's I've been thinking about baseball a lot and I'm just uh, I'm not going to be able to perform here. And she's like, look, forget this. Funny thing about people when things get bad. They want to be alone. Truth is that when we need each other the most, we can, uh, that's when we need each other the most, basically. The truth is that's when we need each other the most. And she says, we can be alone together. She kisses him. He says, no, no. But then he weirdly grabs her by the throat and throws her against the wall, which is like, oh, she, I, not trying to kink shame, but like, I don't know what the fuck that was about. Well, I don't know. She seemed into it. Um, yeah, at that, like, I'm not, well, I mean, she seems into everything Rand does. Sure. Uh, she, yeah. she is his one true love. Um, so then he kisses her. Uh, anyway, that's the scene with those two. I I don't know. I I got the sense like she she says heavy lines to him, mm-hmm. right? Like she's talking about like I, I don't know. It it did see it, it they they presented this very early on as more than just they're knocking boots at the end of the night and they go yeah. their separate ways. They're talking about heavier things. She's talking about like his shutting people out when he's hurt and scared and how that's when she need he needs to be with people that's more than just a night hookup right i, I think so yeah. yeah i think they're i think they're being purposeful with the dialogue here um and i mean the stuff that she talked about before 
I mean, while it is a little bit cliche and, you know, somebody you're just knocking boots with, but like she talks about something a little bit, I think, more in depth of the, you know, uh, when I'm with you, I forget about the uh, the man that I love. Oh, that's the next scene. Yeah. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, right here, all she says is we can be alone together. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, trust me, when we get to that scene, I'll detail it. Uh, very closely i i am i'm a big fan of the ray and celine relationship uh, yeah cut to a green i yep. do you know i do think that it's worth throwing up that red flag that celine is 100 percent okay with rand being what seems to be uncharacteristically aggressive mm-hmm. yeah like normally you know like if bj did that to me i'd be like what in the hell is wrong with you like absolutely not yeah you Right. And I think that we like, uh, so my viewing experience was I was disappointed in Rand when he did it. I was yeah. upset, upset that he did that to her, but her reaction made me think there's something here I'm missing. They either do this yeah. a lot. She doesn't seem to mind. Like there's something else no, going so on here I, that it, I don't know. It, it right. seemed, and it's, I read it as, it seemed like she, she both sort of, she, she both liked it, but also that she had been expecting it. I agree. Like there was yeah. a knowing look like an old friend like a, oh yes there you are yeah yeah uh i can also see that this is a little bit of a role reversal than what they've had before she seems a little bit more take chargey and so like the him taking charge was like okay i'm finally getting a rise out of you that isn't just the uh-huh. obvious one do you think that she like throats him like she pushes him against the wall with the with the with the 100%. Slam? Like the Undertaker choke slam. <laughs> I, if she hasn't, she wants to. That's episode th- three. Please, we got to see that scene in episode three. All right. So, uh, cut to Egwene giving uh, Elaine a tour, and it comes out she didn't need a tour anyway. She's trying to be friends with Egwene. <laughs> That's it. She's, this girl's charming it's so all the way sweet. around. I She's like charming her so all the way much. around. I like her absolutely. <laughs> Shiram comes over to Elaine and chastises her for how her room got set up. Apparently, they let maids in to do it. And that's not allowed. And she can't have all this shit in her room and <laughs> stickler for rules, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, yeah, hey, tell me the name of the people who did it. And uh, she's like, I will not deliver a whipping boy to you. Uh, I will take the punishment. And when and there's the most important part of that scene to me is when she says, if somebody needs to be punished here, it's going to be me. Egwene mm-hmm. gives this look like, oh, OK, maybe there's something about this girl I, I, did, I hadn't picked up on before. And that little look was the whole purpose of the scene mm-hmm. yep um because they're you know we're starting to develop that relationship between them and yep i also think there was a little bit i think the the secondary purpose of that scene is that like our um mistress of novices seemed a little taken aback when um when elaine actually followed through on saying that she would take the punishment and get you know came back with the like okay before breakfast or afterwards and like I, I don't think that the mistress of novices was actually expecting that. No. And so she seemed actually a little scared of her. Uh, yeah, which makes I sense. I think that's a fair read. Uh, or I'm at least scared, impressed. but at least yeah, maybe, yeah, uh, definitely unpredictable for sure. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was an impressive thing to do for mm-hmm. somebody who's like the, the daughter heir to the whole kingdom to be yeah. like, yeah, I'll take the punishment instead of some random maid. Yeah. You just wouldn't expect that type of character from her. Well, I can't imagine that the mistress of novices is like actually super excited about now switching the daughter heir for every morning for three months. You don't know what she wants. I mean, it's one way or the other. She either yeah. doesn't want to do it because that 
sucks and you might yeah. end up in a dungeon somewhere or it's like hey this is my one chance to get one over on the aristocracy <laughs> Let me do this shit. absolutely uh and then at the end of the scene we get we get something that's like that played out in my 20s a lot like i used to go to bars with this guy bj oh, everybody here knows him uh, a really good looking guy at the time um <laughs> and uh we would go to these bars and like it, it, we, I always got the hey where's your friend at right mm. at the bar right the the women in the bar the guys in the bar he's always a super charismatic guy so I always got the hey where's your friend at thing and I I I've got pride I punch right back and I'm like hey, well you're talking to the main attraction is basically what I would I would kind of fire back with that's what Egwene's dealing with here because they basically just interact with her with like hey where's Nynaeve and she's like fuck if I know and they're like all right well if you find her tell me that's all I need from you Egwene. It's like, I can see how that's a bit demoralizing. Yeah. Right? Egwene's yeah. got to start f- treading her own path in some kind of way. She can't, like, first off, she gets mentioned. Everybody acknowledges that Nynaeve is the most powerful person there, right? But the, she gets knowledge, acknowledged as one of the top. Yeah. So she's yeah. got, like, I think this the story for Egwene, and she can be really irritating, right, on screen. But, like, she's going to have to chart her own path away from Nynaeve at some point. And maybe we start to get some of that this scene where she's, like, shitting on Nynaeve, like, and they start to, they kind of have a little bit of a separation. She's got to figure out a path that doesn't involve mm-hmm. just being like, "Hey, where's your girl at?" Like, "Oh, let me let me see if I can find Nynaeve and like get her for you." Like, fuck that. Like, that can't be her role. Right. Don't, don't worry. Edwin uh, being difficult is not limited to the show. Um, the other thing that I I think I picked up, but maybe that's just my uh, thoughts on on Edwin uh, is that. She also looked at Elaine and was just like, oh, like there's there's some worth to not just like capitulating immediately. Because like, I, I feel like if Edwin was asked, like there is absolutely no way she wouldn't have immediately said like Edwin? exactly what it Edwin? was. BJ's got a book pronunciation in his head that he can't get out. I'm sure sorry, Egwene. You're saying Edwin? Yeah, it's so, uh, what are we doing, Egwene? Okay, Egwene. Okay, uh, I just want to make sure. We, yeah. I, I, honestly, it was so far away from how I pronounced it. I was really trying to make yeah. sure we were talking about the same person. It, yeah, it, mean, we're talking about the same person. It's... We could just call her Aggie, which is what <laughs> all of the book readers online would call I'll her. I'll call her Aggie. I like that. That's good. <laughs> Solid. Uh, yeah, she, she's... Our girl Aggie. Oh, my God. Uh, but she's also learning that, that like there is another path other than just being, I don't know, kind of obsequious and, and just all right, well, they told me I have to do this, so I'm going to do this. And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, there are punishments, and you can just take them and then do things. I like that. That's a great point, BJ, is that, like, she actually saw someone else sort of stand up and say there's a a different path than just, like, bowing your head and going, yes, 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 whatever. Because we have gotten a couple scenes already of that with the queen, right? Like, we got the person tossing the trash in her bag, and then, like, this scene where it's like, hey, where's Nynaeve? That's all I need from you. Um, Yeah, she's going to need to figure out a different way to operate, I think, in the White Tower to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I walk away, and Elaine is apologetic, and Wayne says, at least they pay attention to you. The only time an I said I ever talks to me is ask where my friend is. They walk up a little farther. Uh, your room. And then they look, and it, uh, Elaine's room has been stripped. stripped and, yeah. and they laugh and say, well, you wanted to cl- you want you wanted it to be cleaned out mm-hmm. and then they, they laughed they had a good laugh together. I think these two are already simpatico. I think that, that that's what this scene has shown us. They're already friends, which is good, I think. Um, cut to a panning shot of a city and we see Leandrin walking with a cloak on. She goes into a room. There's an older, seemingly ill man on a bed. Nynaeve is there watching her in the sort of background. They clearly had been following her. 
Leandrin is calling him my love or something as she's sort of mumbling to him. We did. Do we before the scene? Did we know who this guy was? Nope. Nope. All right, because I definitely assumed romantic partner, and then she's calling him my love and stuff here. But then we get the the, the, the switch reveal, here yeah. in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he seems to be waking up, and she says, I'm here. She makes him some sort of tea, says he'll take the edge off, whatever she's comforting. She looks up, sees Nynaeve. Nynaeve explains that she followed her here because she thought um, she was with a man who could channel, and she thought Leandrin was going to try to hurt him or worse. And I think that the, the <laughs> natural question from Leandrin back to Nynaeve is, and what the fuck were you going to do about it <laughs> if I decided to, uh, to to fuck up some guy who was channeling? Like, there, anything you were going to do, please? Let's have that conversation. Uh, she tells Nynaeve to leave before she does something they both regret, but Nynaeve just moves in and kind of dips back into her old skill set from the, the Two Rivers, I think, where she's like, yeah, this this particular, like, here's a, a sign that the disease has progressed this far and what you're doing actually really doesn't alleviate the pain. You got to do this. And she starts talking her through it. Leandrin, super reasonable, just smacks her in the face for this um, and screams, get out, get out. Before I kill you, she starts. Actually, starts crying, which kind of threw me for. I expected Leandrin to like pop off with anger. Mm-hmm. Did not expect the crying, and that is when we get the reveal where she's talking to this sick man and says, "I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't know it would hurt you. I'm so sorry, my boy, my beautiful boy." And I think implication is it's it's her son. Yep. Yep. Anything um, else about this scene? I would just like to point out that uh, Leandrin has too too many irons in the fire. Uh, going on things are getting missed this is a woman who needs uh an eisenhower matrix and some prioritization and a deep work session because like she is running from thing to thing and things are going harebrained i'm just saying maybe if she had a warder or two to like help her out help carry the burden uh some sort of an assistant men are too weak yeah well and that you know the other thing about the scene is that it just it it's really sort of heartbreaking because it also indicates how like alone and set apart she has made herself yeah because she is trying to like intuit and then steal um healing arts from other people that she doesn't understand and she doesn't have anybody she can go to to ask about or to figure it out or or anything i think that's a great point sarah because it seemed to me in the dialogue that she was making a relatively basic mistake yes that that naive could could identify very quickly. Yes. And it's likely because she's doing this all on her own. That's a great point. So one of the things that like I took away and mostly because like it's really talked about in the books is that uh the that Aesodai really is true uh herbs and other like they're just like there's healing mm. and then there's it's like the one all of that backwater shit that y'all y'all do yeah. when you can't do healing. So it's kind of um, like like modern medicine, and then like the people who are like, well, if you take like witch root and like, you know, smoke a joint and then like some tea, like it's get yeah the herbalist. Yeah. Right. So I I, I think that that there's but there's also the aspect of like you know the uh, the, the those some of those medicines actually work and those actually come into like modern medicine. And so like there's the balance, the, the crimson thorn that they use, they use diluted in, in the tower for like treating this, which again would not have happened in the books because like of how against most herb things that the Aes Sedai seem to be, um, which I don't know, gets a little overturned later in the series. But um, I think that, 
I guess my on like my thought process on what Leandrin was doing was like she knows that healing isn't going to work because it's old age, and so what she's doing is grabbing some of this stuff and doing what she can, but doesn't have this knowledge set, and it might not be any Ace that I know about this, but she's sure as hell not going to ask the other Red Sisters because the other Red Sisters are like, what are you doing helping any man? Well, yeah. somebody in the tower would know about it, though, because she stole it from the... Um... From the yellow... Yeah, from yeah. the hospital. I mean... Yeah. yeah. Who was using it? They know... Well, they know it was stolen. They may not know it was Leandrin who stole it. No, I... I'm just saying that, like, there is knowledge of what these herbs do. In the TV world of the Aes Sedai, they, they use them actively. Right. Mm. Uh... I think that we're supposed to sort of think as the, the White Tower is like, there's just tons of this stuff around. I mean, yes, it can be deadly, but that's not, they don't really worry about that. And so it's like, it's just on the shelves. Like anybody could take it. And that she took some is important for her, but like that it's missing, I doubt will elicit any comment. Correct. Yeah, I, that. sorry, that's not the, I, I think you're right. That's not really the point I was trying to make. Okay. It's just that like, my my point was that there are people around her who have knowledge about this and she cannot ask anyone about it yes. because she's so alone. Right. right. Uh, and that she's red. I think that like all, it sounds to me like all the things are true. It sounds like in the, in the white tower, they've got this stuff because like, they have tons of just uh, herbs and equipment and they're just stocked and fully loaded. And they clearly do use this from time to time. Like, but there is clearly a built in bias against like not using the one power, right? Because like Leandrin, that was on full display when Leandrin was talking to Nynaeve, where she was like, sure, hey, you're backwoods down. You can't even deal with this shit. Watch how easy it is for us, right? Like, so I think it probably all things are true here. Um, cuts a mat, puts a candle in his workspace, says shit, keeps working. Well, I like this new mat. Before we get to that, I do want to point out something about this, this scene between Leandrin and her son is she apologizes because she didn't know that this crimson thorn was going to have this effect. Mm-hmm. And then you see his hand kind of move over to her. So yes. like, clearly he also loves her. So yes. like, I think that's important to show Leandrin's character. Um, I, yeah, I think so too. And that was sort of, I don't know if I would say that it was an entirely unexpected moment because she was, she was there trying to help him. Right. So there clearly is some sort of relationship, but it wasn't, it was by no means the certain reaction for me watching that scene. Right. Anyway, that's it. So no, I think that's I think that's a really good thing to point out. Same. Right. Yep. Back to Matt, who's Shawshanking, working. He's trying to dislodge this thing, <laughs> and he finally does dislodge a stone. It falls through. He says, Shit! Another cell. Then we see Min. Min makes an appearance, who is apparently in the other cell. She asks Matt. She calls Matt the possum because she was assuming, I guess she was assuming a possum was scratching at her wall. I also mm-hmm. found that charming. <laughs> I like everything. Min has been charming this whole run. Yes. She's been great yeah. uh, the whole time. He asks, what did you do to piss off the blonde? <laughs> Matt says nothing. <laughs> and then she drops this wonderful line. Oh, it's a sex thing then. She looks like she'd be in a domination with those cheekbones. <laughs> um, which I don't even, I think they might have wrote that for the actress. I don't know. Um, yeah. Because it really does yep. chive. Matt says, luckily, he isn't her type. She prefers her men dead. <laughs> Matt, that was a good one. That was a real deep cut there. She she prefers her men dead. Uh, I liked it. She asks him for the tool, and he starts scraping. They start scraping together. And she says, I'm men. He says, Matt Cawthorn, and they set about to work. Cut to the fireside. Tomas, 
He was delicious back in the day, but he chose our dear sweet Varen. This is Adelaide talking, and that was the end of his sex life. And they're laughing. It seems like this the, the Adelaide, whenever she gets like her definition of unwinding is like let's just like lay down and talk about sex. Let's just she, like lounge and do some sex talk. She's Alana at retirement age. Uh, she, yeah, she is. She is ready to uh, Sarah J. Moss the story and like. I am here for it. I just want to hang out with her. Um, she's like an Instagram real commenter, and all I want is to host a podcast with her and like rule Dragon Con panels. That's that's I, what I want out of my life. I, I feel like there there are aspects of her that remind me of like the stories that you would come back from uh, somebody that you worked for at a point in time. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I mean, again, not exactly the same, but sort of like the. She gives no shits and is old enough and yep. uh, well established enough that it just doesn't matter. None of it matters. No. Yep. But I do get the hint uh, that Varen is not quite as into this talk, and, and that's why she's she's poking Varen about the fact that yeah. maybe Varen wasn't having the same amount of sex with Tomas as she would have. Tomas laughs, even Lan smiles at the whole thing. They turn the conversation into Lan and Moraine saying, never told us a story about how you two met crickets, crickets. Baron says it's late, tries to end the conversation, but Adelaide pushes the issue. So Moraine jumps in and says it was outside Chachin. Uh, I'd been following him on the road all day. He kept throwing glances back at me. I thought he was a dark friend. I thought she was a mercenary sent to kill me by Car- Carrera. Cardera. Yeah. Cardera. And then they explain Owen oh, Malkier, which I guess is where Lan is from. Older women mm-hmm. take young men's virginity to show them the way of love. Adelaide says, this is getting good. <laughs> Uh, Moraine says she found him by a pond meditating. He was face was scrunched up with a lot of rage. He says meditation was never easy for me. She fires back, especially not when you're planning on killing an Aes Sedai. So it's interesting. Like I, I I'm not going to bury the lead on this whole thing because we're going to get a lot of Moraine land toward the end of this episode. I believe that Moraine is putting on airs to force Lan away. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of the negative, hurtful shit she's saying to him or doing to him is genuine. I think she still really likes Lan, and I think that like this is coming out in this conversation, and then she realizes what she's doing, and she kind of tightens back up toward the end of the episode because her goal is to separate from him because she needs to go to, to Rand to, to support Rand and basically be a body man for Rand going forward. <clears throat> Hard agree with that interpretation. Uh Okay. Yeah, I think we see a momentary thaw and then a refreeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they just tell this story about how he ended up throwing her in the pond. And that kind of blows Varen and Adelaide <laughs> back. They're like, you threw Moraine Sedai in the pond? Which we know enough about Moraine now to know that she had to like him. Yeah. To even let him do such a thing. I mean, she would have just fucking knifed him, you know, with the one power or something if she was actually upset with him. I, I think I think that that's a charming story that indicates that they did get along at one point. Yeah. It also feels I, like, you know, it, it. I know that they they do not have this type of relationship, but the story that they tell here feels sort of like well-worn and rehearsed in the like way how'd y'all that, get the, married? Well, that the partner... She was here, yeah. I was there. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're trading mm-hmm. barbs back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, there is a prequel novel about Lan and Moraine meeting. It was actually like a Who short story slash novella that then got fleshed out um who wrote it and robert jordan did okay yeah. i just did well because he died i didn't know if it like somebody else yeah, yeah. yeah so it came out between like 
book nine and ten, I think, um, or ten and eleven, somewhere around there. Uh, but like it was hinted at, like at similar places, and so mm. that it's a well-worn story. They talk about it, um, and they also talk about like how old they were at the time, and you get a little bit of a sense of it because they're talking about Lan being young. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also Moraine was young at the time. Got it. Got it. Um, so we do get this line though. I think this is from what Vera and who says any old warder can protect you from a trollic, but the right one can protect you from yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Moraine looks upset at that while Lan smiles at her. And that's the end of that scene. Um, oh, there is one thing though. Lan in this Lan attempts a joke. He says <laughs> it is unwise to try to separate a man from his sword. Yep. And here, like, so I think that, like, the focus on, from Land about how important his sword is and, like, how he uses, like, a, a sword, like, that, that that's, like, so important to protect yourself or whatever. Um, when I was, like, uh, rooting around in the histories of Wheel of Time, uh, I learned that, like, I guess in the Second Age, they didn't even use, they, they had sword play, but no one really used swords to protect yourself or whatever. That's As like an actual it, weapon. Like right. that wasn't happening at all. So like the emphasis on it, I think, is an indication that we're like it's mm. it's like a real highlighting fact that we're post breaking and that the world is fundamentally different than the how way far it used away. To be. Yeah. yeah. So we actually are. I, that's interesting that you read that because like there is an aspect of uh, yes, it was sword play, but like it wasn't completely unused. Like. You know, how in modern warfare, like, you don't really use blades, but people still train with them and people still use, like, knives, daggers, and things like that. But it's not, like, as... It's not, like, your main source of defense. Um, But I think there are a lot of people that would argue that, like, the amount of time that's been spent on a lot of martial arts were better at it than they were back then, even when it was the primary form of defense. Understood. Okay. Yeah, but... Um, Yeah, but... Yeah, okay. Um, and then the other thing is, I thought we got this in season one, but I'm probably just misremembering, which is that we got the story about uh, Lan's sword being placed in his hands as like a baby and him being sworn to the sword. I thought we got that like when Nynaeve and him visited the Melchior family. That feels right when it was, yeah, we they were back got with it, the yeah. family. Um, and so like now you see like Lan was joking, but, like, it's kind of a partial joke. Like, you know, we didn't get, like, the full fleshing out about, like, Malkyrie and, and Borderlanders in general and, like, how martial they are. Like, we get some sense of it, and we get more of a sense of it in this episode. Um, but that, I think those two were supposed to, like, keep feeding into, like, who Lan is and what Lan is and... Hopefully we'll get more of that as the seasons go on. But like, this is another like little uh, kindling for the, the fire that is how Tideland is to his sword and certain fights. Yeah. Yeah. I think that comes across for sure. And then we got the, the training sequence early in episode or season, or the first episode with him in his mm-hmm. sword, right? Like, yeah, definitely, definitely important part of him. Uh, cuts him out in men who share, who are shared a bottle of wine. She gets wine. Can you believe that? And he jokes about her coming on to him. She scoffs, tells him to move. She climbs into his cell. They sit back, have a drink. She jokes about the accommodations. She says, so you're going to tell me why you're, he says, so you're going to tell me why you're in here. And she says, she usually avoids Tarvalon, but a riverboat changed course in a storm, but she came here to get work. But a red who loves to drink recognized her and here she is. Huh. Hmm. That's interesting. 
And he says, but why do they want you? And she finally starts to divulge. She says, I see things. He says, if I keep drinking, I'll see things too. <laughs> That's funny. Man asks what kinds of things. She says, glimpses of the pattern. He verifies the future. She's like, yeah. And he says, it's a lesson. He, then he, like, he's like giving her, like negging her a little bit. This. Yeah, he's like, he's clearly like working on men here. Because he's like, well, that's less interesting than I thought. Like, and it, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of make a fun of Matt there. But like, you know, it, it was actually kind of deft because it's clear that men doesn't like talking about this. Yes. And so he was able to pivot to something kind of funny and like, ah, I just hope she killed somebody or something. I had a secret affair with an Aes Sedai. <laughs> She's like, the future isn't interesting to you. And he, he interesting enough, goes, no. Actually I not. And not, I believed him I there, too. I don't want to yeah. know what my history is. Please don't tell me. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that is a, a really nice way of starting to lay a foundation of friendship between the two. Because, like, this is one of the first people that men has interacted with it isn't like all right tell me about my future like i'm gonna be happy or mad with you or whatever but like i i i'm not interested in you as a person i'm interested in your power mm-hmm. yeah yep matt takes a drink she looks at him she says, better head back um he asks her if she'll visit again she's like yeah pretty sure i will <laughs> i got nothing, <laughs> fucking got nothing to do uh but then she see a glimpse and we see it too a glimpse of matt stabbing rand and that was unsettling for everyone involved uh, cut to Rand with Celine. Tells her he doesn't want to hurt her. She says you can't. <laughs> she leans over, tells him that she loves someone. She loved someone once. When he left, she was shattered. But I knew no one else could ever have that power over me again. What's left to hurt if he still has my whole heart? Is what she's saying here. When I'm with you, I can pretend you're him. I can pretend I'm whole again. You can't imagine what a gift it is. It's so much more than I've had in a very long time. And she's like, what do you think of when you're with me? Which is kind of interesting that she just assumes he's not thinking of her. Mm-hmm. Like, she must really kind of know him pretty well. Because that's that's a... I don't think most women would just assume that. <laughs> hey, I'm sitting here sharing a bed with this guy every night. But anyway, I know you're not thinking about me. Who are you thinking about? Like, that's not a question that gets but asked. But that, that also, you know, I wonder, too. Like, that could be that she knows him very well. But it also could just be she's jealous because she knows he's had some previous experience and so she's like well what are you thinking about i it could be that i actually read it though as a little bit more of a like assert um assertive isn't the right word but proactive move on her part that like she actually doesn't want him to be in love with her so she is both giving him permission to be doing to be thinking of someone else and suggesting that it is probably smart for him to be thinking of someone else, not of her in this way, because she's not available, nor is she interested in doing that. Okay. I didn't, I didn't get that. That's at all. interesting. I, I would, I was, yeah, I was on the other side of that where I think that, um, yeah, that, that is kind of almost the exact opposite of the way I saw it because I thought that she knew him well enough that she was getting close enough to him to know he had something else on his mind and she was trying to draw that out as opposed to pushing him away, not trying to be close. I guess we'll see. Yeah, um, I I also think it like leads into their discussion at the beginning of the episode, where like they're joking about him sleeping with her as payment for the rooms, but like there is sort of that undercurrent of he is pulling away in terms of like a more, deeper relationship. Yeah, she says he says I when I'm with you I think of some someone I wish I could forget. She says, well maybe that's just how I have to work with us. You'll help me remember. I'll help you forget. And I gotta tell you, I'm rooting for these two kids. I think it's gonna work. <laughs> Elaine then uh, presents to Egwene her secret weapon. 
and I think it's just some wine or something that she's made. Uh, Egwene says it packs a punch. Uh, Egwene is impressed. She worked on it on her own. Elaine's like, kind of sad. She's like, well, you, <laughs> you basically get a lot of hobbies when you're not allowed to have friends. Is kind of how she puts it. Speaking of a friend, she asked about Shiram, uh, asking her about Nynaeve. Do you know her? Uh, I, I take it you do. So it kind of comes up in the conversation that um, Elaine knows of Nynaeve, that she's aware of her. Says People say she's quite powerful. At this point, there's a knock on a door for at Egwene's room, but Egwene is not in, in her room, right? She's in Elaine's room. And that was Nynaeve looking for Egwene. And then Egwene drops this whole thing. She's like, she's not doing anything exactly. I guess that's the problem. She goes on to say, like, she came here for me to protect me, but she's never around when I want her. And she's always off sparring with the warders or becoming Leandris. She doesn't, she's not saying it with this intonation. I was going to say, like, I realized I that we it. all, that that's everybody here, hear. except maybe me, thinks Egwene sucks this season. Yeah, but. that's how I'm hearing it. She does not say it that way. But I also think it's how Elaine's hearing it, too. Yeah. She says, she's off sparring with warders or becoming Leandrin's bloody protege. And I feel like the harder I try, the more I fall behind. And the less she tries, the more she gets it. We've always had that. We've Everybody's had that friend mm-hmm. that just fails up constantly. That's uh, that's how she feels about Egwene and, or uh, um, Nynaeve. But then, even more driving home how much I like Elaine. She just cuts right to it. And she's like, and this definitely is a nominee for me of my favorite scene of the episode. She's like, Egwene, I know we're only just getting to know each other. So hope you'll forgive me when I say this. Jealousy, it's not the best look on you. And she... You know, Gwen does the normal thing that people do and being called on being jealous and goes, I'm not jealous. And she's like, I'm the daughter heir to the most powerful nation in the world. I know what jealousy looks like. Oh, what a line. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. What did you think of that scene? Yeah, I thought this was, I mean, it's just a really fun interaction. I think it shows how much Egwene has really just let this build over the last five months and she's just so frustrated and she's upset and she's jealous and she's not willing to admit those things to her because to herself because she feels like there's an obligation to Nynaeve. Mm-hmm. And so I think Elaine's helping her realize that this is actually a problem for her and that she's feeling all of these emotions. Yeah, I agree. Um yeah, so, yeah, it's it's cool that Egwene's opening up, but I also like that she's got somebody who, you know, gives it to her straight, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. something Egwene needs. Uh, um, I like that, so in the books, Elaine is a little bit more petulant, usually, and I like that they're moving away from that. Um, and I th- hope that it makes Elaine a more... Uh, enjoyable character. Yeah, a generally enjoyable character. I think there are reasons that Egwene is going to have to be how Egwene is, Um but I, I think that Elaine is become is uh, a more solid character earlier, and and I'm excited to see it to continue. Um, I, you know, will continue into it. But I didn't love how Nynaeve plays into this scene. Yeah, how Nynaeve like listens, and then yeah. she she hears Egwene sort of complaining a little bit. And I, you know, honestly, I mean, Nynaeve runs hot, obviously, clearly. But like, I didn't think there was anything that. Egwene said here that was so egregious that they shouldn't be friends anymore. I think, you know, Nynaeve has to understand that if everybody around her, if all of the people in power in the White Tower are saying how powerful she is, mm-hmm. that's going to breed some resentment among people that know her and are friends with Like She has to expect some of that. Like, I didn't... I, yeah. I, I'm usually the first one to shit on Egwene, but I didn't think there was anything here worthy of like, oh, we're not friends anymore. So, I, I get what you're saying. However, with... Nynaeve, you also have to think that she probably feels like 
crap right now because she's been constantly being told, you know, she's the best thing since sliced bread in this age, and she can't slice a damn bread. So she probably actually feels quite like an imposter, and she's also frustrated because she thinks she came here for Egwene. And Egwene's just saying, like, and she's not there for me. So I think it's less, I think Nynaeve is less upset with Egwene here and more just upset at the world. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But you you know, you got to use your words, Nynaeve. Use your words. You, you know, tell somebody what you're feeling. She's never it. been good at that. I feel like if she would tell Nynaeve, if she would tell Egwene, like, hey, I feel like an imposter. Everybody tells me how powerful I am. I can't even do the thing. Like, I am fairly certain that Egwene would have that conversation with her and be supportive. Yes. Um, the, yeah. That the, is the cornerstone of the series that nobody talks to each other. Well, <laughs> it's rare. And it also the cornerstone of this <laughs> well, series it's rare, is... <laughs> it happens uh, once in book 13. <laughs> well, so it's funny that you say that, but basically the first time Nynaeve has an emotion other than anger is in like book seven. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. She runs hot for sure. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I'm, I'm so rarely on Egwene's side. I have to point it out what I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's fair. It, it, it's a short list. So uh, then Nynaeve um, uh, goes, because she gets a knock at the door. She thinks it's Egwene. It's a Leandrin. Leandrin basically brings her to go to the arches to go, I guess, start this process of, quote, going through the arches to get accepted. So that's Mm -hmm. where we leave her this episode is Mm -hmm. that she started that process. Yep. Cut to land. He's near a horse. He looks in the saddle. Does he find the poem? It seems like he found the poem. I think so. He put it in his pocket, it seemed like. And it seemed like he kept it. And Moraine yep. wanted that poem. So Moraine I think that's going to come up again. Moraine was very excited about this poem, yes. That's going to come up again. Um, but this is where breaking up is hard to do, because this is where they start it, right? Um, he starts to apologize, saying he should have seen the fades coming. And she says, you know, when I decided you'd be my warder, it was after Chai Chin. It was, we were on the way back to the tower. And we stopped at a little village. And what she's saying is that, like, he was, he had been through so much that nothing phased him. Like, seeing three trolley heads on spikes didn't phase him. And then she drops it. She goes, because I knew that when the time came, you'd be able to survive on your own, which tells me or what she's trying to convey here is mm-hmm. that she always knew she was going to drop him. She always knew she was eventually going to get rid of him. Um, and that when the time came, he'd be able to survive without her. That's why she picked him. And he's like, I'm not leaving you. And she's like, ah, wrong answer. You are. Uh, yeah, we're, we're de- definitely doing this. But she does explain that the... Quindir, 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 that broke at the eye of the world. That was the seal keeping Ishamel uh, imprisoned. It was, and this is what we we've known this as viewers this whole time. She's just conveying the information to land. She's just saying, "Look, we didn't defeat the Dark One. We set his strong lieutenant free." She says that the Forsaken are three thousand years old. I, I like this part of the lore that we're getting learning about this. She says the Forsaken are three thousand years old. They're the strongest channelers to ever live. And Ishamael may be waking the others. What they can do with the one power makes the Aes Sedai look like tavern magicians conjuring birds with their sleeves. I mean, he cut me off with a flick of his wrist. And I, it doesn't seem like she likes to talk about that particular mm-hmm. moment. So even just discussing it with him, um, you know, a lot, a lot of emotions are coming up in her. Lan basically says that couldn't have happened. It takes Aes Sedai to, eight Aes Sedai to cut someone off. And she's like, you're an idiot. You don't know anything. Um, you don't know what they can do. And they get to, I guess I'll, let me stop there because there's a bit more dialogue. What do we think so far? 
I tracks. <laughs> this is sort of a a little bit of a, a lore dump, I guess. Yeah. I think it's not Within a bad place discussion. for it. Um and there are like I think they they are confirming a couple of things that they're changing from the books that are fairly major changes that affect a lot of different characters and a lot of different things that are going to happen. Um, and I think it's interesting that they're, they, they also seem to be easing some of the book readers into these changes as well as easing the TV watchers into the world at the same time. Right. Yep. Okay. Uh, I think that that makes sense. And we do learn a lot here uh, just in this back and forth. And and you can kind of see where the conversation's going. And Land does too. He says, I know what you're trying to do. You can't push me away. She says, Rand's alive. No, you said he was dead. She's like, I, you assumed. I didn't say it. And then we did see that. It's true. All she did is just yep. shake her head when he asked about Rand. She never said anything. And this is where I I really got hyped for the season because she starts to... Moraine's one of my favorite characters, and she immediately starts to put in black and white what her real motivations are, right, Mm -hmm. for this season. And she's like, I did what I had to do to protect the dragon reborn because my loyalty is to him and him alone. And that that him alone is pretty interesting because that tells me it's like, not you, not the White Tower, not the other Aes Sedai, not Mm -hmm. anything else but to him, which is a pretty powerful statement. She starts to saddle a horse. He snatches a hand away and he says, I took an oath to defend you to give my life to yours. She says that the, without the bond, he's unable to fulfill his oath. She's kind of trying to give him like a some uh, fine print to get out of this deal, right? And he says, I'm still your warder. And she barks at him, no, you failed me. Without Varen and Adelaide, I'd be dead. Um, and she goes on to get, and, and this is the stuff I feel like is fake from her. I don't mm-hmm. feel like this mm-hmm. is genuine when she's basically saying like, you failed me. I'd be dead without, you know, someone else. And like, I don't think she believes this. I think this is her way of getting Land to not follow her, basically, and go away. But she, even then, gets to the end of this conversation and goes, I'll have them basically use the one power to stop you from following me if I have to. Like, you are not going to follow me now. And she says, she leaves him with this, which is like, you know, maybe like in a strange way kind because it's like trying to help him move on but she says we were never equals when he asked you know if they were equals she says we were never equals light protect you landman dragon and she leaves so there it is they broke up land watches her go do we think that's the last time that uh land and moraine interacts there i do not know okay all right because Uh, like i'm not 100 percent sure of that yeah i think it might be so there's one comment here so did you notice who who came up on the three horses when Moraine's like, I'll have someone else deal with you? I thought it was Varen and Adelaide's. It is not. It is Alana. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. There you go. All right. So Alana and her two warders are there ready to essentially acquire Lan if he puts up a fight. I see. Yeah. So Moraine's already pre-planned this with Alana. Um, okay. Fair yeah. enough. I, I'm not, you know, Sarah seemed pretty sure that they would see each other again i'm not so sure of that i um i don't know it, it felt like they were showing us these two parting for good and you know moraine's gonna fuck off to try to deal with rand uh, I, I don't know i i could see i don't know hard hard to say but i'm not i'm not so sure that their paths will cross again so the other thing that i think is interesting is moraine talked about like you know i i didn't show you the forest for the trees um and you know we like we walked along this path and he says, you know, were we ever equals? 
and she respect or you know were we equals in this and going down this path together and even and before that he's like i said i can't lie like he kind of sets it up right. like you have to tell me mm-hmm. the truth now basically um and she says we were never equal and this is another one of those times where what is she saying and what does it mean um and it it like i i, I guess i like i don't know is you know the other side of this like there are times that i know that she's being cagey and saying something uh off just because you know i like i i have you know at least either i know or like i'm pretty sure i know where they're going here i think i might know where they're going that like she's basically saying like the bond between asadai and water is not an equal bond and we've talked about this before uh we had that episode uh where the asadai died and the water like basically threw himself into uh got himself killed Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they mourn him, and and it was kind of like a weird one-off episode, but it helped uh, introduce us to the Asadai Warder bond, and that it's an unequal bond. Uh, that you know they basically get somebody to protect them, and the Warder kind of gets like you know that they're a little bit stronger. Um, and so this feels to me like Moraine was saying, like we were never on equal footing. Because I'm an Aesodai and you're my water. Not, we were never equals in this fight. Like, we were never, not. I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, she, she, she could, she's playing with the word equal because obviously they weren't equal. Aesodai have more power than a water. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she didn't view him as a partner. Right. Yeah. I, and I think I agree with you here because I, I think she's full of shit this whole conversation. Um, this feels like a, um, one of those breakups where it's like, you know, the person's like, uh, I'm just going to hurt you. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and break up so that you don't continue to get pulled into my madness, even though they still like the person. Right. Like, yeah. You know, and you, and so she's kind of forcing the issue and I think misleading land about how she really feels. I hope they see each other again, because I hope that like after Rand kicks everybody's ass and their spaceships again, they can uh, fucking <laughs> hug and be like, yeah, we're friends. It's all great. Let's hang out at the estate with Farron. I don't know. We'll see. That sounds like a great f- future. We'll all root for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be lovely, right? Cut to a village. Perrin is sleeping. So people yank his ass right out of there. We see Uno and Nictar fighting. It's all battle sequence here at the end. The worst part about all this is seeing Loyal on the ropes. Did mm-hmm. not appreciate that at all. Yeah. Ingtar at least yells to Perrin, go, go help him. So he does. He fucking basically bowling balls in to try to help Loyal. He just like <laughs> tackles, shoulder tackles somebody. Loyal does, you know, get... Uh, free and starts fucking people up. We start to see the strength of the Ogiers on full display here as he's just tossing people into the side of homes and into the creek and all over the place. And it seems like our our uh, band of soldiers here get the upper hand until a few more people walk in and we see two women. It looks like they are gagged almost. It looks like there's like a thing over their mouth. Yeah. Yeah. No one knows what that is. And we, we, we don't talk about that. And a whoop whoop, very quick use of the one power, and yeah. our whole crew gets fucking flung sideways. And next thing we know, it's the next morning, and they're all defeated, and they've been brought to heel pretty quickly by two women who can channel. Hey, look, this is a great, great scene to book in the conversation Moraine just had. Mm-hmm. Someone who can channel is not equal to it's someone not, who, who cannot channel. Doesn't mean <laughs> yep. I don't, don't care about you, mm-hmm. but it's not equal, right? These two mm-hmm. women came in and just wrecked shop. Um, 
And we don't even know their power level or anything. We just know that they could channel and then poof, they created a storm. And we also and, see that the Shanshan are perfectly happy to use the one power as a weapon. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, they have a bunch of basically people who are prisoners from this town that include Perrin, Loyal, mm-hmm. Uno, Iktar. Although Uno looks fucked up. He looks like he got hurt. Yeah. Um, and then we see someone sitting very high on a throne. Look, it appears to be a woman that has a, a face, like a veneer on her face. Yeah, sort of almost like a, um, a metal veil. Metal veil. <laughs> I like that, yeah. And uh, long nails. She's got long fingernails. And next to her is Ishamiel. He is sitting there. And she says, are they ready? And he says, they'll have to be, won't they? There you go. That's that scene. <laughs> Cut to another town. Rand is walking around. We've got a good, cool drone shot into the town, too. And uh, he's friendly as he walks. He's saying hello to people, et cetera, et cetera. Walks into work. He gets told, hey, look, you got a new job because uh, something happened to Yon. I mean, can you believe it? Shocker, <laughs> isn't it? Anyway, he can't come into work. She does say, like, basically, he'll be back later, which maybe was confirmation that he did not die. Um, Rand walks out into the courtyard, and who does he see is Loghain. Uh, he says, your usual orderly had a terrible accident last night, so I'll be taking care of you the next few months. I have a feeling you and I have a lot more in common. Boom, end of episode. So Rand is hooked up with Loghain now. Mm-hmm. And my immediate hope, where my mind went right away, was I hope Loghain can train him, help him, yeah. help him figure out how to handle this power. All right. Anything else on the recap? Anything else from the last couple scenes? Uh... I think these are just little tastes of what's coming. I think these are almost previews that we get. I mean, um, we know that they are. I know, but yeah. like, but they put them in there on purpose to make everybody excited about the next episode. Yeah. I mean, especially yeah. like leaving on that line. Yep. Yeah. Like, and well, and, so, yeah, and Rand had a weird look on his face too when he right. was talking to Loghain. And so this makes me think that maybe Celine had something to do with it. Yeah, maybe she other- coached him. Yeah, of course. But but like Rand definitely like thought about this mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like planned. There's not, there's not a positive thing that Rand does this entire episode that I don't think Celine's behind. I think she's helping him <laughs> every step of the way. I don't know that Rand knows that if that is yeah. true. Um, but I, th- I think his it's kindness, kind of joke. his random kindness to others is holy like, Rand. Yeah, but yes, I I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I'm being over the top. I I, I don't know that Celine had something to do with him, like, being excited to to talk with Loghain or not. Maybe she did. Um, But I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him a lot. Uh, Yeah, I think that there was a lot of, like, setting. Like, they, they, like, we got, yeah, more so than a lot of episodes of television, we got, like, exactly what episodes three going to be, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Nynaeve's going through the arches. Uh, we have to figure out who the hell's on this litter next next to Ishmael, uh, yeah. and we have to figure out like what the hell Rand's going to do with Logan. And I will say that 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 whole scene with Ishmael and whoever is on the litter, like all of that, made is just me doubling down on the like. I don't know. The dark side looks great. These people have a look. I am into it. I am ready for. I'm ready to follow Ishmael. Uh, well, I do. I must say that uh, as someone who also was getting getting attempted by the dark friends, mm-hmm. uh, the way they come into to town is not ideal. 
the way they sort of <laughs> they, they just start dragging people out of they're beds busy. and kicking the they're, shit out of people. Okay, so they're the party of law and order, and <laughs> it you know, is law and order. I'm just saying. I, I don't know. They lost me when they started putting the ropes on Loyal. Uh, that's that's what I, I started bucking the system. There are going to be casualties. Uh, <laughs> collateral damage. Damn, so he sold Loyal out quick. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get more of this, um, and I don't think we should talk about. The, the Death Guards? The Death Watch. The Death Watch, yeah. Okay. The Death Watch is... Anyway. The, the Death Watch is the group of people that uh, Darth Maul had when he took over Mandalore in Star Wars. So Yeah, sure, that's definitely sure, it. Sure, I'm sure in. Right there. understand that. It's not that different. Uh, <laughs> a lot of crossover. Uh, okay, cool. Let's go to best scene yep. because I have a nominee for best scene and it is every scene with Celine. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> the one where at the very beginning where she talks about um, basically they do this all. It's the same thing with them. Like they're, they're repeating the, repeating the process, right? It plays mm-hmm. into the whole overarching uh, theme of the series wheel of time, the pattern weaving time history, repeating itself. We're getting that theme with these two right away. And then also her being very open with him. Like, Hey, I loved someone else so much that I could ne- like, I never have to worry about somebody hurting me again. Cause nobody will ever, Mm-hmm. I'll always just still be in love with that guy. Oh, by the way, yeah, I'm still here in your bed though. Um, and then he actually, I think, opens up into her, opens up to her in a way that I was not expecting Brian to do, which is to approach the uh, subject of Egwene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which he, he started to go down that path with her. And I do think that, um, you know, I was kind of joking a little bit about like, oh, she every single thing Rand does positive. It's all Celine. I do think though, there's probably a little coaching going on. I think that she's, um, she might be the reason that he works where he works. She might be the reason that he has pushed to talk to Logan. I don't know. Uh, we, you know, we don't get all those conversations, but we do get a, we do get a sense of real intimacy between the two of them. I think the scenes are acted really well, shot really well. Those are my favorites. Sarah. Um, I think, are we combining best scene with best line? Yeah. Is that sure. right? Okay. So. I mean, um, if you have different options, present both. No, I, well, I don't know. I had a bunch of scenes that I really liked, but I, there was a line in, and I didn't write it down. I wrote down a different line, so I'm just going through. Well, while you look for it, uh, BJ, do you want to tell us yours? Um, yeah, so uh, I have I have a couple uh, to, to put forth. Uh, one is in sort of in the line of, like, these things are happening again, and it's a wheel. Rand uh, tell, telling Errol, we get to start fresh, every day is yeah like it's such a good line for uh so every single book uh opens the same way and you also get this idea that like every time the the people are spun out they have a fresh start and Mm -hmm. they can do something different and that like it felt like he was talking more to that than just their like yeah you don't remember me and we get to do the same like we're we're starting again every day yeah, oh, I really like that. It's very um, reminiscent of how they pulled in that philosophy with the Beltine um, candles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the other uh, the other quote that I like is, "I have a feeling that we have a lot more in common. That Rand knows what like what's going on, and sometimes it feels like he's just." sort of riding the wave and sometimes it feels like he's doing something yeah. and this very very much felt like he's coming into his own a little bit um, which he really badly needed to do 
Yes, <laughs> for sure. Um, mm-hmm. yep. And then the scene that just worked better than I expected it to in the show um, and gives us a door into madness, uh, I'll say, is seeing the fade nailed to the door and what that looked like and how gruesome it was and what that means for who and what Padan Fane is, mm-hmm. I think is just a, a cool thing to think about that it felt like they didn't give enough reverence to is not the right word, but like they didn't put enough weight on it because like it feels like it should have been a bigger thing. And I feel like that was a very near miss in that scene. Like they could have added just maybe one line of somebody being like, you know, either this has ne- never happened, like this is impossible to do to a fade. You know, something about the level of how terrifying this person or thing that did this to this fade must be for this to have happened. Yeah. So I think they tried because they had Perrin say, what could possibly do this to a fade? Yeah, but that's Perrin. Like, he didn't know anything. He's a backwater bumpkin as opposed to the Iktar. If Iktar had said it. If Iktar had said it, you you would have had that weight. Yeah, I agree with you. Sarah, did you find your scene? Yeah, so it's from um, uh, Lan and Maureen's last scene. And I had actually written down um, the line that I think comes right before this or right after this. Uh, which is the last battle is coming and we're already losing it, um, which I I still want to put out there. But like the what really just sort of got me, and this is not I don't do this one for like overall weight in the story. Um, but when Moraine says to Lan um, about the Forsaken, what they can do with the one power make the Aes Sedai look like tavern magicians conjuring birds with their sleeves. Yep. It's the first real indication of scale and stakes that I've gotten with the magic because we have yeah. only seen it in small pieces, right? Um, this is that put that that puts a different sort of spin and weight on things for me. And it explains her motivation a little bit because mm-hmm. if she truly believes that the Aes Sedai are like so many levels below the Forsaken, yeah. like, like she's characterizing here, then you can see how she goes, We're, we need the dragon yes. to even have a chance yes. in this fight. Like there is one small possibility. Yeah. And this yeah. is it. I uh, think that was really, really neat. I think it also shows how much Moraine being willing to stand up to these Forsaken. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of why she chose Lan as her warder, right? That he was uh, willing to stand up to Trollocs with just a sword. And it's like, well, Moraine also does that. It's yeah. just in a different context. Yeah. yeah. And fades and everything else. So the the other thing that we'll see what the TV show does, but in the books, Moraine is one of the most powerful Aes Sedai like, that, you, that we ever meet. Mm-hmm. Um, she and so, hmm? Yep, she yeah. isn't. She ain't anymore. She, right, she isn't currently. Uh, but, like, the amount of power... So, the amount of power that she has, the Emerlin Seat has, and, like, a handful of others is sort of up until uh, Egwene, Elaine, and Nynaeve is sort of, like, basically top tier for where the Aes Sedai are. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of gives you a sense of, like, how much stronger at least she believes that the uh, Forsaken are. Yeah. Right, yeah, because it's the, yeah, it's not even the Dark One they were dealing with. They were dealing mm-hmm. with Ishamiel, and he, yeah, he, and he just clearly person, overwhelmed not... her. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Bree, do you have a, a best scene or best line? 
I do. I have a couple of brief ones, and these are more character sketches um, that I thought were just really enjoyable. So one is, you know, we've spent very little time with this new Matt, so we don't really know the character that he is portraying. But I loved the when Leandrin leaves Matt's cell, and he echoes her movements, you know, just not with even any words, and you just see that little sketch that he does. I think it just sets the tone for what kind of person he is. Mm -hmm. um, so I really enjoyed that. And then the other one that I um, enjoyed was Varen's extremely perceptive scene with Maureen, where she essentially lets on to Maureen, hey, I know what you've been doing. And don't you try to, to cage me with an oath, because I also know that's not going to work. Um, so I really enjoyed those two um, scenes as, as character sketches that really set the scene for what those people are. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a great lead into best character, worst character of the episode. Um, my my best character is it's going to shock y'all that I don't pick <laughs> Celine, but I am not. I'm picking Varen. Um, I, I thought she was just the strongest this episode. Every scene she's in, she just has this like weight, mm. um, this like gravitas to everything she says. I feel like she's going to be super important later. The fact that she's interjected herself and come out of retirement for this deal, come up to the White Tower, you know, the whole thing. Um, it's it's important that she's she's left her estate and she's going to she's going to work in this now because I feel like she's one of the more um, level-headed, seemingly powerful and capable people that we meet. And then the the person I like the least is this numbskull who uh, Rand beats up. Uh, oh, he's the worst. But yeah. but Yawn. you know yeah. Right, but he. I uh. guess I, I don't think he. I guess he doesn't really count. So I'm going to put it on uh, Leandrin this episode because mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure I understand any part of her plan about what she's doing with Nynaeve. It seems like it feels rushed. I mean, for somebody who can't even do basic channeling to just be like, <laughs> oh yeah, let's just skip you ahead multiple levels. Hey, here's your test. And by the way, people die in this test. Like doesn't feel real good to me. And then the fact she couldn't get over her own pride to allow Nynaeve to help her son. Um, that's a real negative on her character that she couldn't pocket her pride for 15 seconds and take Nynaeve's advice to help her son. Uh, it's clear she loves her son. But her pride is just so big and, and so debilitating that she's not able to do anything with it. So fuck her. She got she got the lowest rank for me this episode. Yeah, it's a real black mark against her. Yeah. <laughs> um, I a thousand percent agree with Leandrin as a loser of this episode, and I kind of I kind of take these mm -hmm. BJ as how we do. Uh, yeah. Winner and Potter, loser of yeah. house points in pottering around, mm -hmm. uh, which is who personally who personally accomplished their goals, had a good time, did what they wanted to do, or ended up in a worse position than when they started. Um, yeah. And Leandrin certainly hits that for me. My sort of dark horse winner for this episode is Elaine. Yep. Um, yeah. She seems to have gotten herself as daughter heir. I imagine that we are going to get more from her about how going and training with the Aes Sedai is a really like good and empowering thing for her to get her away from um, the sort of uh, life of the life of the air. Um, I'm speculating on that. I don't know, but you know, she has a friend now. <laughs> she has proven, she has proven herself to her friend. She's done something for somebody else. Like 
She mm-hmm. has yep. helped Egwene open up. I I think that she has done really well for herself, done really well for her relationships, and I think that she has come off very well to the audience of this year TV show. So, yep, I think she the had a mistress good of novices has given Elena friend. Elena is so true. happy. <laughs> Friends are not clothing. Yep, agreed. Not clothing. <laughs> Friends are not clothing. <laughs> Confirmed. Uh, okay, winner and loser of the episode for BJ. Um, I. This is tough for me. Uh, I think I'm going to nominate Lan as the loser of the episode. Mm. Uh, I don't think he's perceptive enough right now to know that Moraine is uh, pushing him away because of an ulterior motive. And I don't, I don't know if that would sit better with him, but I think it would be, it would sit differently. Um, and so not only is he sort of missing the undercurrents, he's also getting, uh, the short end of that stick. Um, I, the, the, I, I think Varen is, is by far and away the winner of this episode. She's one of my favorite characters of the entire series. The only disappointment I have with Varen is Terry. Did you watch, uh, the expanse? Yeah. So there was a rumor that the actress that played Christian Avasarala was going to play Varen. Mm. I think she's going to be playing somebody else in this universe, but like that is so far my only disappointment with Varen is that it's not she's not played by that actress, but this actress is doing very well. Yes, yeah, this actress that, is that doing feels incredibly like well. a that feels like a book thing where like you you have been thinking about her in a certain way. A hundred percent, absolutely, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Because like what I'm seeing is somebody who's never seen the character before is a very believable character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, she is. Yeah. She's doing a great job. But, but you yeah, you did cast it differently. Okay. All right. Brie? Well, you guys are doing a solid job of knocking out um, you know, all my top choices, but <laughs> she picks Celine. Breeze I'm gonna yeah, go Bree, Breeze, winner of the episode Celine. is Egwene because she's her favorite character. Absolutely all the time. not. Aggie is not my favorite character. Absolutely not. She's <laughs> but I do have That's some very naive way of saying. Yeah, that. absolutely. Uh-huh. No, um, no. But my Brie would tug her braid if she had it. My flawed winner of the episode is going to be Moraine, and the reason for that is one, she didn't get stabbed by anybody this time. Okay, which is good. Step up. And two, as as crappy as it is, and as awful it is to watch that breakup happen. She did succeed in what her goal was very obvious early on, which is to drive Lan away so that she can go focus on the work that she needs to do. I don't love it, but she did succeed in her goals. It's um, a good point. She did accomplish what she wanted to accomplish. She broke up a 20-year relationship with this guy, right? Like, that's a big deal. Yeah, goal. very soundly, and she absolutely knows how to target her words to hurt him in the maximum damage. Yeah, it worked, too. Uh we have the breakup. Okay, yeah. anything else we want to cover? Um, and then I think my a little bit loser of the episode is Nynaeve because she's at the end of the episode facing something she has absolutely no idea what this is. She is absolutely not prepared. And she just essentially heard Egwene saying what she thinks is terrible things about her. So she also feels like she's lost the only friend that she had in the tower. Yeah, I think that's a good call on loser mm-hmm. of the episode. That she had yeah. she had a rough episode. For she sure. also yeah she also got the shit smacked out of her. Oh yeah, that's right. And she also got like, I mean, she's like a she's been in law school for two weeks and now she's got to take the bar. Like I, I don't know the how fair <laughs> that is for naive either. Like that's not that doesn't seem great for her mm-hmm. either. What what's happening? I'm very negative about this. Like jumping her ahead in the 
in the yeah, first one. as you should be, it's, rightfully. So this is one of the things where I think they're straddling what they did in the books and what they want to do with the show. And this is one of those things that just kind of falls flat because either go with the book or do your own thing, but they're trying to do both and it's just not as good. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Anything else on the non-spoiler part of the podcast before Sarah and I duck out? I think that was pretty thorough. Yeah. Cool. All right. Enjoyed it. We'll be back next week to review episode three. Looking forward to it. See you later. Thanks y'all. Yep. See ya. Okay, so now we're going to talk a little bit about book spoilery things, maybe. I mean, honestly, at this point, we're we're just spitballing. Like, we don't know anything about what's going on in the show. I don't know that the showrunners do either, but they seem to have a better hand on the tiller at this point than they did first season. I mean, whatever they're weaving, it's certainly a different tapestry than it was in the books. Yeah. But they seem to have a pattern. Uh, yeah, they haven't shot the bed. Uh <laughs> So far. So, uh... They came damn near close in season one. But oh, they my seem God. to have recovered Let, it. Let's, let's just ignore some things from season one. So, I think that Ram's nightmares are because of Celine. Ooh, that's a good... And part of the reason that I think question. this is... And the whole exchange about, like, who are you thinking about when you sleep with me? Uh, it feels like they might be pushing up the moraine Lanfear confrontation. Mm-hmm. Like the the one where she falls through the arch and disappears earlier than later. And this has to do with like her driving Lan away because she knows that she's going to die. Have a confrontation. Uh, in, right. Um, the other thing that uh, I guess is a little bit of spoiler for next episode because I can't remember what happens in the next episode exactly, but there are three arches in the basement there. Yep, and two of them are broken. Two, yes. So what? So there's the the whole one, and that's the one that they use for the accepted test. And that's the only one that they use. Uh, actually, no, I don't. Like, we'd have to look. Right. Well, so like, I, I don't for the next episode. Right. Because we don't get any channeling within the accepted test at this time. Right. But I do think at least for one of the arches, they do send her through a broken arch. Okay. I don't know which arch she comes back through. I don't know. And that would be worth uh, seeing. But my thought was, is one of those arches one of the twisted doorway? Uh, the red twisted doorway that Moraine goes through and asks questions? Like, or oh, has like Moraine got... had access to that already? Like, does she know... The things that she got from the elfin already. And so, like, all of those things are being sped up a lot more. Well, when does she go through? She goes through in the waste, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's in so Brudian. Like, this is way down the road right. that this stuff happens. I mean, honestly, like, his interaction with Loghain feels like they're cutting out Osmodian. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think Osmodian is completely off the table. And it seems like there are going to be eight forsaken. Yeah. Probably four men, four women. Just Well, well, and that makes sense with the little figures that we saw them praying to in the first season. I believe we counted them, and I believe there were eight. And we were like, 
Are they just morphing? Like, are they combining some of these characters? What we're referencing is that they said that it takes Aes Sedai to uh, cut off a woman from the One Power. power, Which is actually not how it was in the books. It was 13 to turn to the dark. And, well, but it was also 13 to shield. So 13 Mm. women could shield... A man. A man and cut you off and shield you if you... Like, the weakest 13 could hold the the shield and, like, it couldn't be broken. So it kind of feels like they're dropping the 13 number to the 8. So I think it's going to be 8 to to turn. I think it's going to be 8 for all of the things. Like, 8's going to be the max size circle that women can do without a mat. Like, all of the things are going to drop from 13 to 8. And... I feel like we're going to lose some for a second. I think we, we are definitely losing Agonor. We're losing Agonor. We're losing Semiraj from what it sounds like because they mentioned the names of some of the Forsaken and we got some of the female. So we got, uh, I don't know how they're pronouncing it. I think it's later show. that we get yeah. Mageden. Mageden, um, the spider. Yeah. And certainly we have Lanfear and we have Ishmael. Yeah. Uh, we're definitely going to have Samile. Who? Samile. Oh, Samuel. I don't know. Okay. I cannot it, pronounce his yeah. <laughs> book name. Um, Old Uncle Sammy. Uh, we'll probably have Robin, but no guarantees. I don't know that we'll have Robin because, honestly, he's really not that important. Like, all he does is take over Andor. I, uh, okay. Uh, but that can be done through other means. Yeah. Or you move, you move Sammy from the whatever country that's not been talked about at all. No. Oh, yeah. Samuel is in there. Who's in the... Shara? Yeah, Shara. He might be as well. Because somebody goes out there, collects essentially all of the armies from there, and brings them from the So Grendel's in. Yeah. So Grendel, Magidin, Lanfear. I feel like we need a a fourth woman. And then it's definitely Ishamel, Samuel... Uh, I'm blanking. Well, and then there's the question of, are they going to have rebirth for the Forsaken? Or are they going to just keep... Break them out. Yeah. So we might even just have Morden replace some of the original Forsaken and just be a Forsaken already. Well, Morden was Ishmael. Right. Okay. So you're saying just have him be a separate... Be a separate character. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Because I think it's kind of important that we have Morden at the end... Although I guess with the amount of importance that they've placed on Ishmael early and the fact that he hasn't doesn't seem slated for death, it could be that Ishmael will be the one that Rand trades bodies with at the end. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we will. Um, I think in this episode, I think the, the fun parts were the characters, Elaine's introduction, which while very, very different from in the books, was, I think, well done. Um, the deficit is, of course, we don't get her interaction with Rand early on. Um, so I'm curious to see how they're going to do that introduction because. Yeah. I also feel like they're, they're changing a lot of that stuff. So like Elaine might end up with Rand. Uh, I could also see them having her end up with Egwene. Oh, Uh, interesting. And just take. Whatever his name is, the stupid brother. Gowan out of the equation. and well, Gowan and Gallad haven't shown up. Right. Like so. You know and what? Sh- Those are well. 
Gowan in particular is one that I am not sad if we lose him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we are moving away from the uh, Arthurian legend groups, but right. um, but it also seems like they're pushing the Min and Matt pairing. Uh, yeah, which I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. I mean, it, it like, it, it might just be they happen to be in the same place, but, like, later episodes they do continue on together, so we'll sort of say. Um, the Matt stabbing Rand is... An interesting change, because that was supposed to be Fane that stabs Rand in that spot. Right. And then creates a non-healing wound with the dagger. Well, the second non-healing wound with the dagger, which oh, yeah. becomes Over really important one. later. Right. So... Uh, and also we don't like, we don't have any confirmation, like how perfect men's viewings are. Uh, so it could be that like, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I suspect for the show, they're going to, they're not going to cast too much doubt on the things that she sees. Yeah. Um, unless they make it a major plot point to discuss it because otherwise you just cast the sort of the entire purpose of her character into doubt. Yeah. If you're like, well, some of the things she sees aren't necessarily true. There might be a line that's like, sometimes the things that she sees are not what they actually are. Like they don't, what they seem to be is not what they are. Right. But I don't think there's going to be a line where it's like, what she sees might not actually be true. Right. Or, I mean, it could easily be something like Matt gets the dagger in his hand and gets controlled by Padan Fane because of... The Shader Logoth connection and stuff like that. So it's also interesting that they they have they haven't gotten the one of the cool things that we got was the perspective of uh, Padan Fane and interacting with the Mydral in this town and like we only got to see the results of that. Yeah, that is a little disappointing. Um, I actually so one thing and I maybe missed this connection, but I guess I'm not a hundred percent sure why. Everyone in that group immediately went to, oh, this is probably Fane's work. Like, what do we know about Fane that makes him so unique beyond being just a dark friend? Yeah. And like, also, like, did from. they see Fane leave with the horn? Like, yes. I, I, okay. Yeah, they did. So maybe it's that. Like, I don't know. Like, that, you know, that was a little bit like, felt a bit forced in there that they were like, oh, we have to make sure that we've connected Fane with being really evil. Right. And, and not just evil, but also extremely capable to the point where he can murder a fade while it's still alive. Right. Or torture a Because we didn't get him in the cells escaping and all those other right. things. So they're moving stuff around. But, like, I feel like that made it so, well, we knew Fane was there. And then we see Fane exerting power over who we thought was in charge. And so... Like, they never, like, explained that. Yeah. Which, you know, kind of whatever. Not a little disappointing. Um, I think it was entertaining to listen to Lee talk about he why, or that he wasn't entirely clear what Lee Andron's goal was with um, kind of picking up Nynaeve as a protege, as Edwin yeah. says. And, you know, he's like, I guess maybe recruiting for the Red, but this seems weird. Or... And so our suspicion, you know, is that she's already recruiting her for the black. Because if you listen to that scene in the context of Leandrin as a black sister, it makes a lot more sense. Because now she's sort of reiterating what we heard in season one about what 
what big changes the dark one can have on the world um, that are beyond just one or two people. Yeah. Um, and also, I think this is sort of where, like, things in the book happened, and they're giving the lines and, and interactions to other people, which are weird. Not having Aleda already and not having Swan around make all of, like, the stuff in the tower weirder. Um, and so, like, I don't know where they're going to go, but it does... it. It still feels to me like they're going to try and have Leandrin be the next Amarillin seat because no one else is there. And then to just bring somebody else random in that, why do they have power? Why are they here? Right. They're feels... going to have to do a lot of work on right. Elida if they bring her in. Um, which, I mean, I guess they can do and they can push that arc later on. But it feels like... They've really pushed Leandrin in a lot of the roles that were taken by other people in the books. Exactly. And even, like, hinting at if other Aes Sedai find out about the dragon, they're going to be super pissed. So it's an easy thing. Reveal Swan and as helping Moraine uh, with the dragon. Moraine's out and about or completely gone. Swan um, gets birched. What gets yeah. spilled. Uh, removed. The other thing that I could see them doing, which... I wouldn't mind is um, basically instead of stilling somebody else, because uh, I don't know what that like if that really helps. Basically, swapping Moraine and Swan in the next arc that Rand has, and you know just having uh, Le- uh, Leandrin take over the tower. Uh, I think that'll do sort of similar things to what Aleda was doing for reasons of the Keeper being black, and so it doesn't really matter who's black, um, sort of. Uh, It matters later with Egwene, but that's a whole different thing. Uh, And then just, if Moraine's going to die and sort of take Lanfear with her, like... Maybe Sawan does that instead. Or Varen, um... I think Varen would be a problematic replacement because she has a lot of other things that she has to do. Right. But she is there a lot in the books. That is true. Swan helps Egwene later in the books, but there isn't any reason that, like... And she trains her how to beat the Merlin seat. Right, but, like, she can do that after... Like, she can leave Rand at some point and do that for Egwene. So, like... They're, like, mashing people together, and that Swan is not in this season at all, and not interacting with Nynaeve and pushing her through the arches and all those other things. Really changes her. Yeah, really changes everything about, like, all of these interactions. And and so, I don't know. It's a thing. It's fine. Um, I I think it's a mistake to have it be Leandrin in some ways, but, like... But I think they're doing... I mean, we'll see what happens, but I think they're doing a good job with Leandrin. Yes. I was really curious and spoiler for the next episodes, but I was really curious if they were going to change what Leandrin did in the books as far as essentially drawing the girls out of the tower. Mm-hmm. And then that didn't end up changing. And so it's interesting that they gave her or she she kept the original things that she was doing in the books. Sort of. But I think she went back to the tower. Yes, she did, whereas in the books, she left. She left with the 13 other sisters. So it'll be interesting to see if eight sisters leave or if they're just not doing that. Yeah, they might not be. Right. Because we've moved up all the 
the Sanch and stuff and everything. So well, not a whole lot. It was season. It was book two where the Shanchen came and Egwene got collared. Yeah, that's true. But like as far as like the the thirteen, I said I like some of them get that interaction with the Sanchen. Yes. And so that may or may not happen. Right. Um, I think one other fun thing or interesting thing that they've very much changed is around Min's character. They've really leaned into her being very boyish and not in the like cutesy boyish way that she was in the books. Um, And what I mean by that is she's not El Mindrelda or whatever her fancy name was um, and how she costumes when she comes back to the tower as a, what is it, a, a... Woman for the Emerald for the seat. Yeah. seat, like because she's got a lover or whatever. Yeah, like all of that backstory completely gone. Right. Um. So they've you know absolutely changed how Min is inserted into the tower. I think it seems to work reasonably well. Right. But Min is at the tower at a different point, so I think that they're getting her to tumble ahead with Matt instead of like there with Moraine. Doesn't he go to save the girls? Matt goes to save Elaine and Nynaeve. Right. And Egwene. Right. So, but but how does Min end up in Toman Head? I don't remember. I think Moraine, like... Brings her. Brings her. And Perrin ends up there because, kind of with uh, Fail. Oh, God. Yeah. So I think that they're getting them there in slightly different ways. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, I agree with you, but like, I, I think that like they figured out this way to pull her there. She's not there for the stilling part Yeah. now. So I don't know if that's going to happen or like what's going to happen with the Emerald and seats, but this feels like they're pushing a lot of that up. And, uh, but I don't think that that's her part there now. Actually, sure. I think they might, um, have Leandrin depose, uh, Lean, Leany, or whatever, Leanne, Leanne, whatever. The Keeper. The Keeper, uh, basically, as, and Swan Flees. I think that's how they're going to do it, oh, because they had Leanne, uh, basically, I'm the Emerald now. I am, yeah. And butting heads with Leandrin, I think in the next episode, which I we're getting so. a little yeah. bit far afield, but I feel like we should talk about it, because we're talking about what's happening with Leandrin and how they're changing that yep. stuff. Anything else? Um... I think that's pretty much it. I think, oh, one thing that we did talk about earlier was about the origin of the voice that Rand is hearing. Yeah. You know, there was some discussion of, you know, is that the Dark One? Yeah. Is that Ishmael? Is that Selene? Yeah. And I think it's Luz Theron. Uh, okay. I I think that they might not be putting Luz Theron in Rand's head for a while if they do it all. Because, well, we'll get there in the next episode, but they have Loghain think that he has Luz Theron in his head. Yeah, but all the dragon, false dragons think that. Like, he already thought that in season one, Loghain was all all over the idea that he had the Dragon Reborn's voice in his head. Yeah. So maybe it actually is. Uh, I mean, we do have a voice for the dragon. The, the dragon. Season one. The, it's not Dragon Reborn, but yes, whatever. whatever. Uh, I think it's Celine, um, just cause like she's in his head. Uh, there's no reason that she couldn't be weaving a compulsion or compulsion like thing all the time. 
it was unclear whether that was happening in the books. And so like that, that feels like something that she would be doing and could be doing. Um, I was very entertained that Lee picked up on that aspect of their relationship. She's behind everything that he does. Yeah. With Uh, like not much evidence. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope that we get the portal stones this season because that was one of the, that was, one of the cool things that happened in book two that Celine was basically the orchestrator of, and yep. it's showing Rand that he has significant amounts of channeling power and, uh, and like what you can do with it. Yeah. And it doesn't, I, Logan's not going to give that to him. Logan's going to give him what, it, like not even as Modian did, but basically what Tame was giving to like all of the all recruits of was like, yeah. this is how you embrace the source. These are the different weaves. This is what you can do with it. Like basically taking him through barely novice training. Right. So I I don't know what they're going to do. Like if we don't get something like that at some point. So we'll see. Indeed we will. But I do feel more comfortable this season that even with the changes that they're instituting, I am more curious to see how things are going to turn out instead of being like, ooh, they changed that. That's going to change this downstream X, Y, Z. I am not happy. It's now like, okay, let's see where that river path goes instead of, well, now they've dammed it and everything's fucked. Yeah. I mean, I guess if this feels like they had some good writers doing the screenwriting rather than somebody who read the books at some point and was trying to remember what it was and was like, eh, we can change this for TV. Yeah. Um, I think that they're getting to a much more interesting story that is... Keeping the books in mind. Yeah. So anyway, thank you all for joining us. Um, I hope you have enjoyed our recap and review of season two. Episode two. Strangers and friends. Sounds about right. Yeah. Anyway, join us next week. 